listening to the Kicking and Screaming podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Vanessa Guerrero. I'm your other co-host, Elijah Taylor. And if this is your first time listening, uh, we are back after taking a week off. Uh, we uh, needed to take a little, little family break to tend to some stuff that was happening. But uh, if you are just tuning in, we like to do a little genre mix-up here. We combine horror movies and martial arts movies to make the perfect double feature because we think that they just have a way of highlighting what makes each other so great. And if you like one, chances are you like the other. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. Yeah, you you didn't uh, you didn't miss a beat. We took a took a week off. I thought we were gonna come back to it kind of kind of rusty, but you just uh, you you know you came in. Oh, huh, there's still time, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, as uh, as of uh, this moment in the recording, probably about forty seconds in, uh, you were firing on all cylinders. Thank you. You're not missing a beat. You hit the ground running. I feel like I'm getting back to me. Yeah, uh, kinda. I, I feel like I'm getting further and further away with each passing second. I'm the one grieving. I know, I know. I have no excuse. There's no justification. I'm just getting worse and worse at this as, as time passes. <laughs> um, yeah. This What's podca- a podcast? Sorry. What the fuck? <laughs> what? Actually, Elijah and I literally saw a listing for a Postmate today that was, what is food? What is food? Yeah, the ghost restaurants are good. I don't they're know not if- okay. Yeah, I we, we of course, we are uh, like, based in Los mentally. Angeles. Uh, they're not okay mentally. I don't know, uh, you know, depending on uh, where you are and how prevalent ghost restaurants are in your region uh, and how often you order from delivery apps, you may or may not have seen this trend of like weird little fake pop-up restaurants on delivery apps that always have absurd and One of them was names. called Help, I'm Ugly. Yeah, it was literally just called Help, I'm Ugly. And then one was What is Food? And they're weird, like abstract impressionist. Uh, they feel like they were generated by an algorithm. They tell you nothing about the restaurant. Like... What is help? I'm ugly. I what have, do they serve? I have no idea. Like chicken I, wings, probably. They're truly, always. ghost restaurants. What's going on there? Uh, speaking of ghosts, weird segue. Oh, um, well done. <laughs> I, uh, no, I. Before we get started on our horror martial arts double feature, I actually have a western feature um, that I'm putting in. We're doing a quick genre switch, and that is as a tribute. Um, sorry, Grandpa, that I use speaking of ghosts as the. <laughs> Uh, uh transition but uh i you think you think i'm funny sometimes uh <laughs> the reason we took a week off was because my grandfather pos- passed away after a couple weeks of dealing with covid and it's not gonna be crying episode three i have worked through it for an entire it's been 10 days well, baby I, um we'll i'm not see. rushing through the grief part but i'm getting to like you the talking yeah, about it without crying part there's absolutely um, no pressure uh, <laughs> on you to be able to talk about it without crying so, no like, i know, you know i'm just but, i'm saying all right this is me saying it okay if you cry, but, you cry. <laughs> um yeah my grandfather passed and uh he's the coolest human that's ever existed mm-hmm. um actually he was involved in many of my early Vanessa falling in love with movies memories because uh, he was always there at the wax museum or in the many theme parks in which I didn't understand any of the references to movies but he was like that's that shark movie Jaws um, but his particular love was westerns we watched a lot of bonanzas together a lot of westerns from your spaghettis to your Clint Eastwood um, it <laughs> like he wore Wrangler jeans all the time and cowboy boots, even though he was a Guatemalan banana farmer. Uh, he <laughs> he was very in love with cowboy culture, even though he had never met a cowboy in his entire life. Um, and 
yeah, I very much wanted to like share something cool that other people can also indulge in without knowing him to get an idea of what our relationship was. So that double feature is the original True Grit starring John Wayne, his favorite, and the remake starring Jeff Bridges, my favorite. And I suggest putting them together because, A, uh, it's in one sequence an amazing argument for why remakes can be utter fantastic pieces of work in their own right. Um, It's something that was very encapsulating of our relationship. I literally have a rooster tattooed to my leg named Cogburn. Mm. Um, And also it proves once and for all, even though he's not here to argue it now, that Jeff Bridges is the better rooster Cogburn. Sorry, Grandpa. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, if... You're looking for a Western to watch and as a lovely tribute to the best human I've ever known. May I suggest for Kicking and Screaming's official selection for a Western double feature, the uh, original and remake of True Grit. Hell yeah. Thank you. Everybody everybody, go watch True Grit. Because uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think it's real cool when a thing only happens... Uh, as a result of uh, someone else having existed, you know, like if if you decide, uh, listener, to watch uh, either True Grit or both True Grits and make a day of it, uh, that'll that'll be very cool uh, as a as a an in memoriam sort of uh, type of thing, and just to keep that uh, keep that cool cowboy spirit going. Thank you. Yeah. Also, you said uh, coolest person that ever existed, uh, and I just want to nominate you for uh, number two coolest. <laughs> so. Honestly, only because of him. Um, actually, <laughs> I've been sharing my favorite memory of his love as trains, but it might actually be the time I was taking a bath, and there's a scorpion in my bathtub because it's Guatemala. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get some scorpions. Doing anything there is real different from doing anything here, folks. And um, <clears throat> I looked in the bathwater, and I was like, Mom, there's a scorpion. And uh, my mom was thumbing through a prevention magazine and she was like oh it's one of those non-poisonous ones and i was like can you get it out and she's like i don't want it to bite me and i'm like i'm in it with the water uh (laughs) (laughs) and so she's like just stay on the other side of the tub and i'm like okay and my grandfather comes in to brush his teeth and then goes why is vanessa in the bathtub with a poisonous scorpion (laughs) and uh my mom yanked me out and uh he explained to her that it absolutely was a poisonous fucking scorpion. And I don't know why that incident as a child was horrifying and now is our like favorite story to tell each other. I appreciate that he's just like, hey, uh, what you doing in there with that uh, super dangerous scorpion kid? <laughs> just like as though you might that have a valid general reason. energy. <laughs> I think I've only heard him yell like three times in my entire life. I, I, I just love the presentation of like, not judging. Not uh, not here to judge this situation. You might have a reason for being in there with that scorpion. Uh, it's <laughs> not for me to say, but I uh, <laughs> just want to make sure that you know that you you have all information available to you. That's a super deadly scorpion, champ. <laughs> it's 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 real Arturo energy. Uh, his his general demeanor was uh, panic was always the last thing on his mind, and I think that's why he was such a cowboy fan. Uh, uh, he had a very the... like slow roll into town kind of energy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen run for the hills in his eyes ever. So right to the end, he's I like he's that. he's always been a very you feeling lucky kind of guy. Very very cool, calm, collected cowboy. Yeah, Hell and yeah. cooler than Clint Eastwood, but that's not hard these days. Yeah, anyway, not a high bar, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other than that, we had a pretty spectacular Halloween. 
Um, yeah. We had some friends over. We had some trick-or-treaters over. And by trick-or-treaters over, I mean three all at once in the entire night because we forgot that there's been an entire pandemic and people are still like obviously very nervous about that kind of thing no matter how safe you go about it because literally just lost a grandparent to it so what's funny is i i was so blinded by halloween uh, joy joy that i didn't even uh you know consider that until literally the day of when like uh uh when when your niece sophia was like yeah i wish i could go trick-or-treating but you know covid and i was like oh shit that's right uh and it's funny because uh in retrospect i would not have wanted many many groups of strangers who are themselves going to every house on the block to like come house. to our house and it like didn't stand dawn on us until literally yeah i'm like of. i wouldn't have felt good about that either but still literally like up to halloween day i was like hell yeah trick-or-treaters first halloween at the new house we're gonna we give out so candy. much we bought so Full much size candy. bars yeah which uh hilariously the <laughs> one group of three <laughs> children that did show up because we had had no other kids up to that point and because you had gotten pretty high i was very stoned you emptied an entire like retail box of 30 full-size candy bars yes, into those three kids bags so they each got 10 full-size so candy bars candy search that night. <laughs> like, which is so <laughs> absurd but you just like kept putting it in their bags and they're like cool thank you and you're like no no take more take it all children i was like you're the only children i've seen tonight you're the only children i will see and you're yeah. leaving here with all of the candy because i am determined to make one person through because i was also like in the process of grieving where i was just like yeah. moving through halloween very excited but like with that sad cloud hanging over me so i was like oh <laughs> this is gonna give me a shot of endorphins straight <laughs> to the dome and it did <laughs> and there was a, a tiny child dressed as wonder woman who was just uh shaking with excitement and looked like her tiny little Wonder Woman head was about to explode because that was the most candy any child has ever received. Oh, and listeners, what were her older siblings dressed like? Oh, they were ninjas. They were fucking ninjas. And they're like, we're ninjas I was who too stoned Wonder to say Woman. this is a really good house to be ninjas at. That's true. <laughs> no, we were, we were really stoked. Um, I, I hope that those kids like do remember that halloween i hope that that's like a significant halloween memory for them where they're just like one time we went to this house that gave us 30 full-size candy bars they went to school the next day and were the coolest kids yeah just snacking on like a fucking i filled one of their jan sports with fucking reese's cups so tight <laughs> love it it's a big deal uh let's see what what else do we have any uh other cool life updates uh i, I feel like oh i, I continue like to be away. on behind the monsters and forgetting about it that's right uh, you're on behind I've been the so busy work. you rule everyone um, watch behind the monsters on shutter uh, i did not find out until somebody tweeted at me that they included the story about Candyman making me so nervous about bees that i get break into hives whenever i think of them because i believe <laughs> i've been broken to hives on camera i like the idea that you get psychosomatic bee stings essentially <laughs> i think it's the idea of their little legs crawling on me because yeah, every time I saw them like, so moving cute, over Tony Todd's face, it felt yeah. like itchy to me. Aww. I now know they're like cuter than that, so I'm a little they're bit little cooler fuzzy about it. With their tiny but I imagine it prickly when I was a kid. Oh, I get you. Um, like a wire brush. But any listener of this podcast knows that uh, while I've been on the Halloween episode and the Candyman episode, and I'm also going to be on the Jason episode, uh, the ones to listen to me for are Chucky and Hellraiser. Yeah. Because those are the ones that I came prepared with show and tell items. 
(laughs) (laughs) They're the ones that I talked until I got winded. Pretty sure I teared up during one of them. You guess which. Um, But yeah, those are the ones where I'm kind of especially excited about because several times, I don't know if they're going to actually air this. I bring a prop. One was a lament configuration. The other one was a Bride of Chucky lunchbox that Elijah had bought me when we started dating and both times they asked me to open it. And both times I said, I don't want to, they're full of weed. Like there's, <laughs> there's no way they used that, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that for some reason they kept that in the final edit. You were just saying, no, they're full of weed. <laughs> I can't, I'm too high right now. I was sober in the moment and wearing one of your laser party jackets. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I was this entire time uh, I've been trying to scroll through uh, comments because there there was a comment. I haven't pulled any because, again, I'm moving through life. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, and it's, you know, it's we, it's a, it was a rebuilding week. So, you know, we're, we're uh, taking it slow. We're easing back in. Uh, but I do remember there being a comment uh, in response uh, to a previous episode that uh, was something to the effect of uh, like the kind of recap of things that uh, y'all have watched recently outside of the double feature uh, was like a cool uh, kind of bonus feature. And I was like, oh, we should start doing that. But because I couldn't find the actual comment in time, uh, I say we, we make that an official part of the episode structure starting next week, at which point we will have the, the comment. Rebuttal? Yeah, we'll, we'll like read the comment and then be like, all right, now it's officially part of it where we talk about other stuff that we've okay, seen. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Right now it's not official because I couldn't find the actual wording. It, and because I can't pull it up quickly or like remember it, there's a chance that the tweet actually said that segment at the beginning where you guys talked about other stuff you'd seen was terrible. Don't do that again. And I was like, yeah, do it again. <laughs> so we'll, we'll wait till we have the official verbiage on that. <laughs> oh, it was when we went to uh, Movie Madness and yeah, uh, yeah, made I'm that right. list of stuff that we had been watching. Yeah. Which I need to basically do with Tubi because Tubi feels like the Movie Madness of streaming services. It's It feels kind of like the Wild West right now. There's you a lot of like find bizarre anything. stuff on it. Yeah, which is super fun. Um, yeah, but let's uh, let's get into this. Uh, let's get into this week's. Uh, we kind of have to because there's a lot to say about feature. both. Yeah, it's. I feel like you know we we, I, we really gave it to ourselves on this one. Yeah, we really did. I'm never uh, you know trying. I'm never aiming for a specific length of episode, but uh, you know, part of me uh, is concerned that without some like self moderation, and this could easily be like a three hour episode. Uh, so we'll you know try to try to keep it cool. So my pick, <laughs> just a moment of us both like calming our shit down. So Elijah, yeah, what's your pick? Oh my pick, yeah. my my pick for the kicking yeah. portion of this week's kicking and screaming. What's your pick? Yeah, you want to my? You want to hear my pick? You ready? You sure you can handle my pick? All right, I chose. <laughs> Drunken Master 2, a.k.a. Legend of Drunken Master. Might have some other titles. Those are the two good ones. <laughs> oh, the crowd So I don't know wild. why we got so quiet for the pick. Oh, because um, we had to approach it with hushed reverence. We had to approach it with hushed reverence. Also because damn you for picking this before I picked it. Um, mm, because mm-hmm. you know how much I love it. Uh, yeah. I've actually done a podcast about it before. No, I mean, honestly, that's that's the reason why we're covering it, you know, past like a year of episodes, past like the 50 episode mark rather than in like the first couple of weeks, 
is because you know so much of like my martial arts movie picks are ones that I'm very specifically like I know that Vanessa hasn't seen this and I want her to see it yeah and this this was one that was more like okay like you know we have an established uh like format and structure and like you know uh, like the uh, i i enjoy these discussions as Sorry much if you, had, you hear squeaking at home we are in bed because i'm still too sad to set up the bed. desk uh but yeah it's like you know i'm I, we are now at a point where i'm like yeah the, the actual like discussion and recording of the episode is you know as much uh or like as significant uh to it for me as just like watching the movie with you which was kind of the initial uh thing for me uh and like because you know we uh have like friends who listen and uh yeah you know will uh, talk to us on twitter and stuff so uh yeah it just felt like at a certain point like all right well we got to do it like i know that you know we've both seen it i know that it's one you're already familiar with i'm not like i don't get that introducing you to a hot new kung fu movie uh but like it it was time man we finally it was had time to. um and i'm so happy we're doing it now because it's such a comfort movie to me. Yeah. Um. I every time I watch it, I can't get over the fact that no one does drunken boxing on camera like Jackie Chan, which uh, is so bizarre to me because I actually like watched it with that in mind this time because it's a thing that I always any other film or show or like YouTube fight scene that I watch in which someone is like you know I'm gonna do drunken boxing choreo in this scene i always it, it feels like it is always in the shadow of jackie chan doing it and it never quite hits the same hype level and i'm always like wondering why because surely other human beings can move their bodies like that so i'm like is it you know just the the choreo is it a combination of the choreo and the way he sells it is it you know what what is it that like has this lightning in a bottle aspect because obviously they're like many other fantastic screen fighters that should be able to like imitate this uh and watching it you know with that in mind of like okay what is that like secret ingredient that jackie has that no one else can quite nail uh still don't know what the fuck it is still i like i don't know if it is just a combination of every element like if it is just that amalgam of like you know the the film itself the costuming the way it's lit the way it's shot the you know directing from Lau Kar Leung uh the the choreography the, the you know tasteful under cranking so he looks a little faster than like you know he, he can actually do these movements uh but it still like reads like yeah. cleanly where it like doesn't look like it's sped up at all it makes him look fluid yeah and like yeah the fluidity of his movement plus like Jackie of course like his super charismatic like face acting so he like really sells emotion in every point of and, like, it. And, like, the ugliness of it, too. Yeah. And they're just, like, there's something about it that really does just read as, like, so graceful and, like, super, like, fluid and beautifully choreographed, but also, Yet like... feral! Yeah, feral and, like, wild and unpredictable. And it, you know, it, it makes drunken boxing look like it's, like, a real effective discipline that you're, like, oh, yeah, it's, like, so powerful, but, like you know unorthodox and unpredictable and like he's got so much like balance like he's possessed just... by something yeah and that like i i think that's you know the the clear number one spot and then the number two for me is maybe like 
when Rock Lee fought Kimimaro in fucking Naruto. <laughs> I think that like I think the number two all time great drunken boxing fight scene is in Naruto. <laughs> it's you have to draw it. Yeah, you, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's that's the you know I like laugh when I say it because I'm like bashfully admitting that this is like my number two spot, but it's because yeah it the only other way you get this level of like fluidity and grace and dexterity in the choreography is with a fucking cartoon ninja. <laughs> like you can't even do it in real life. It's truly astounding. And while both movies are fantastic, the second one has such a special place in my heart because he really hits these like equal parts, hilarious uh, and terrifying moments where he just looks like too drunk to function, but he can only do this. Yeah. Like his eyes look bloodshot and he's kind of like mouth hanging open a little bit and he could barely keep a center. And at the same time, he looks like violently ill while also kind of pleased with himself. And he leans into that so much harder in the second one. Like there's several fights where you're almost kind of scared for him, even though he's winning. Like he's winning the fight, but you're so fucking worried about it. Yeah, (laughs) he is is beat red, and you're like, this dude needs help. And I think the thing that also makes the second one my favorite one is Anita Mui, who is oh yeah, who is like the I I hope sung enough, but in my mind, unsung absolute star here when you have Jackie Chan who's the greatest drunken boxing performer that's ever lived and then you have Anita Mui who's like not a martial artist but is like uh like not only meeting him at his level comedically but frequently stealing a scene yeah no absolutely and it it is so difficult to steal I mean to steal a scene from Jackie Chan obviously but also like Chris Tucker yeah no you have to be like firing at 11 you have to be going so hard over the top and she is in every frame and the fact that like well it is you know slapstick and comedic like it is so much more a traditional kung fu movie and so much more like a martial arts movie than you know rush hour is like rush hour is like yeah buddy cop movie that has like some martial arts fight scenes this is just a kung fu movie like and the fact that like every scene she's in she's still going that hard on comedy you're just like yes she's a martial arts lucille ball yes no a hundred percent the Her level face like, has that level of elasticity and expression yeah she's like, going full cartoon character but then she throws herself like molly shannon <laughs> when she does the like i'm out of control and starts throwing her body <laughs> i'm gonna get rid of this baby ah! she settles down she's like i think i'm okay no i'm out of control again (laughs) just dives she's hilarious in this she's so good that it doesn't matter what the dubbing is in whatever version you watch that actress is doing so much with her face and her whole body that she's the one that's selling the humor doesn't matter who says it i was i was gonna say i have uh this one is uh not not i guess uh not unique for me in this way uh because this was true uh formerly of like a lot of shaw brothers stuff and like older martial arts movies where uh i have seen the english dub far more than i've seen the original dub because you know that's the original for most jackie movies are holy grails yeah and i mean like yeah that just is what was available for me you know for most of my life uh and with drunken master 2 specifically it's one where i haven't necessarily uh i feel like i'm like losing cred by saying this 
I haven't necessarily sought out the original dub uh, the way that I did with, you know, most of the other ones that I, like, first saw dubbed in English when I was a kid. And then I was like, no, I gotta, you honestly like, probably wouldn't have found it. I, yeah, maybe, you know, may, maybe would not have. But, like, I, for some reason, I'm just so okay with that one. It's very much like uh, like the English dub of, like, Cowboy Bebop, the anime, where I'm just like, I don't think I need to see the subtitled because it's just like, this is this is working for me. This is hitting well, every button. And in it also the case just of like, Cowboy Bebop, you have Steve Blum, which is automatically yeah, no, of the superior version by adding him. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. But I just mean, like, in terms of it just hit such a sweet spot and, like, immediately became such a comfort thing. And, like... I, I don't know. The English dub for that one just kind of became my canon version Same. somehow. And yeah, I was going to say with, with Anita Moy's character, uh, who is, uh, you know, of course, Jackie's uh, stepmother. Um, d- sometimes the dubbing in the film, like for uh, Jackie's character, especially when he's not in like a big over the top moment, when he's just doing like exposition type of dialogue, like, you know, wait, but if they switched that with blah, 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 his voice actor is so like kind of monotone and just kind of like dweeby at times that there are lines where like he has no presence or charisma as a result of this dub. You know, there are scenes where he's like talking with Lao Karlung's character and it's just kind of like, yeah, so you're telling me that they uh, took the thing and those guys want to come in here and fight me now? But, like, that is never the Just case with her. Just not put much into it. Yeah, and, like, no matter how you, you dub Anita Anita's voice in this, like, she is so, as you said, just, like, so expressive in every frame that you're like, yeah, you, you, you can't make her quiet. Like, you can have this movie on mute. There could be no voices at all. And it, you're just like, no, nah, she's loud. <laughs> like, I can hear her. <laughs> she... She very much makes <laughs> she makes a meal out of the smallest moments because like anyone else when they play that character because of some of the moments of writing and some of like the martial arts movie tropes, she could come off as like shrill or or cruel. Well, she is like wildly manipulative. She, she is, is manipulative. She is shamelessly manipulative. Gaslighting and manipulation. But you're still rooting for her for some reason. No, hundred <laughs> percent. And I was gonna say without. Uh, I always, for some reason, we always do a thing of like not spoiling the title of the second one. But everywhere that this podcast is, the name, the second movie is in the title. You've you've seen it already if you've clicked and listened. We keep up the illusion for you. It's we true. love it's for it. You, the listener. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for the day that we, we tweet and put on Instagram what our week's double feature is, and it's the name of the episode, and you click it, and then when you get to the second half, we're like, surprise, it was a different movie. Surprise, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, we might do that someday. Uh, but without spoiling what our pick was for the second movie, uh, there are equal levels of gaslighting and manipulation happening from uh, spouses in both films. Oh, yeah. But for some reason, when Anita Mui does it, you're like, you, <laughs> a little scamp. You tell him, yeah, you you fake that pregnancy and miscarriage. That'll show him, <laughs> and you're just like fully on board with it. You're like, yeah, ru- ruin this doctor's livelihood with a web of lies while also poisoning a man, because it's funny. It's like for all <laughs> intents and purposes, she's fucking evil. Oh, she is. But a, I she is love a criminal. Her so much and we haven't even gotten to the plot but like the thing that matters i feel like more than the plot is the dynamics of this family um because that poor poor doctor wong fei hung historical character character that you've heard about many times who's who is who jackie is playing yeah. 
this entire time. And his, um, his dad, I think, is Wong Kei-ying, I want to say. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah, um, who uh, Donnie Yen played in Iron Monkey as well, uh, which is fun. The entire time, Elijah and I are like, that poor man and the family that life has given him. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, the, so the... the uh the plot uh kicks off because they are uh getting this big ginseng root through customs and they have to pay a fifty dollar tax and Jackie, who plays Wong Fei Hung, uh as the younger, more smart ass version of this uh historical uh character, is like fifty dollar uh, tax just for you know bringing it across the border. That's ridiculous. I'm not paying that. The dad, meanwhile, is like, no, I'm, I'm going to pay it. It's fine. It's my money. And of, of course, I pay my taxes. Jackie cooks up a plan to hide it in someone else's luggage to have them sneak across and steal it back, uh, which then gets them involved. Uh, the, the luggage that he hides it in uh, ends up being uh, someone who is also smuggling Chinese artifacts uh, <laughs> out of the country illegally into to, english museums yeah to put them in museums in london uh all like selling out their uh culture and history uh for uh for a cheap profit from the the predatory english and of course uh you know by uh hiding something in their luggage and eventually getting the packages switched uh the ginseng gets switched for a just pay the fee won't just pay the fucking fee uh jackie gets uh you know involved in this uh entire smuggling operation uh in which after an amazing spear fight oh amazing spear fight with a uh, lao Karlong who uh also directs and of course directed a, a ton of uh incredible shit that we love uh but yeah the <laughs> sorry the things that he gets involved in there's uh <laughs> The, this evil group it's kind of one group with like a you know wealthy english guy uh who's hired you know his his muscle and like kind of local confidants they're uh stealing priceless chinese artifacts and smuggling them out they are using the local steel mill uh as cover for their smuggling operation and so they're forcing the workers to work uh unpaid overtime yep. when the workers uh even before they like threaten to unionize when they're just like walking out and they're like, yeah, we're not going to work unless you pay us. Uh, they attack them with hot metal and set them on fire yep. <laughs> uh, and are literally just like, we will kill you if you don't beat the shit out of any spies. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're uh, union busting uh, real violently. Um, they're uh, forcing people to sell their property, including uh, Wong Fei Hung's father um after they uh you know catch him breaking and entering and imprison Wang Fei Hung they're like you know if you don't sell us your practice and your land uh very cheap then uh we'll keep torturing your son in prison because they've been wanting that land yeah and so they're just uh you know real real dirtbag uh colonizer types who uh you know are yeah they're uh busting up unions they're uh gentrifying they're uh, forcing people off of their property and buying it real cheap and at one point, uh, character in the English dub at least just says, uh, the English are predators. <laughs> and that's a very funny line to me. Uh, but yeah, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a story of uh, patriotism, as many Wong Fei Hung stories are. That's, you know, like... I may fuck up a lot, but fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, China. <laughs> Hell yeah, China. I'm going to punch this white guy, <laughs> which... I'm I'm usually into <laughs> uh, <laughs> every Wong Fei Hung story. 
always ends in some sort of freeze frame in which he looks cool and someone is dead. And yeah. uh, I love it every time. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's always great. Uh, but yeah, this is this is uh, such a such an atypical portrayal of Wong Fei Hung because he's usually portrayed with such like reverence, even when he's like the younger, smart ass version. Still very dignified. Yeah, it's still like I mean, you know, he's he's a hero. It's a, you know, he, he did so much for for his people in this country. He pukes twice in this. He pukes twice. He fucking drinks rocket fuel. <laughs> he turns beet red and is like ripping his clothes up. And he shit. punches his dad. He he. F- beats up his dad he has a fist fight with his old his old man he gets <laughs> drunk in public drunk. several times yeah he gets like fall down sloppy can't even fight drunk uh it is it's a real messy portrayal and i think that's honestly why it still works for me because this was a time when golden harvest could still make a movie like this and i i think that like a lot of you know modern uh like mainland china martial arts films uh, the patriotism and jingoism goes a little too hard, like the like the Wolf Warrior uh, franchise, where it's very much like the you know the the like Rambo type stuff, where it's very just like fuck yeah, waving a flag, machine gun, everybody, China wins, uh, which it, you know is cool and fun, but it tends to make for like pretty morally uh, reductive uh, and straightforward stories with like kind of one dimensional characters. Pick a country, they have one. Yeah, exactly. Like we we all have them, uh, and I I feel like you know the a film with like a film like this that lets you know the character of Wang Fei Hung also be like a drunken fuck up who gets into a fist fight with his dad. Uh, doesn't really get made in China anymore. Who accidentally poisoned a guy? Yeah, who poisons a guy? Uh, because, because he ripped the root out of his goddamn dad's bonsai to yeah, give him instead of ginseng. He lost the ginseng, and he's like, "I'll just give you some roots." And the dude is a half dead in the hospital, and he's like, "I don't know. I thought it would work. <laughs> kind of looked like ginseng." He's <laughs> like, "God, he didn't take the whole thing. He's only half dead." Yeah, so Wong Fei-Hong is a, a total fuck-up in this movie, uh, completely enabled by his uh, stepmother, <laughs> who's just like, yeah, don't tell your dad, it'll be hilarious. She not only enables him, uh, but she's also, like, so willing to, like, take the heat off of someone or pass the buck if it's easier. Yeah, she, like, knows what she can get away with, so she'll, like, she'll be like, no, nah, it was my idea, that was on me. Don't punish him. And then as soon as it hits the tipping point of like, oh, I'm actually going to get punished. She's like, it was that guy's idea. <laughs> she's very, very good at playing uh, Wong Kaying like a like a fiddle. By the way, if you ever want to look up how dope Anita Mui is, uh, she was a uh, she's unfortunately passed away. But she was a canto pop star, one of the most famous in Hong Kong. Uh, but she was also a dope human being. And after the Tiananmen Square protests, helped protesters flee and uh, reach safety when they were being sought out by the government. Fuck yeah. I didn't know that. She rules. She was just a, like, fantastic, extremely cool human being. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, to, to some extent offsets uh, Jackie getting less, It helps with a bitter less taste. Less Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it is uh, a film that is, uh, you know, very... Uh, Pro labor movement, pro union, uh, pro cool ass punches. Yeah, pro cool ass punches, anti colonizer. Some choreography in this. Um, so in that first purse fight, and then in that last fight, in which he has these like 
huge, massive drunken boxing moments because there's some moments that he's not drunk that are also dope that we have yeah. to talk about. Because you kind of have to talk about the fights here. Like, oh, absolutely. That's it's not like the ones where like it's so thing. cool that we can't do it justice. These are cool, but there's also deliberate. Right, they're like moments and beats where you're like, I want to deconstruct. We have to that, deconstruct this. Yeah. And both moments in uh, drunken boxing are so cool because the two times that you see it um, are mirrored in some of the instances, but uh, so different that they're a really interesting foil to each other. Right, right. Because that first fight, uh, he's hammered, and you're worried about him because he d- he punches his dad. Yeah, when his dad um, shows up to break it up, he just keeps swinging, and his dad has to like like fight him for hey, a minute me. before he's like dude realize who you're punching right now uh and you know it's equally incredible he looks just as inhumanly strong as he always does there's that it's... incredible scene where he's leaning really hard backwards <gasps> yes. in like kind of a limbo thing but he's like leaning on another guy and the other guy goes down and jackie does not move so he's just like still hanging in air leaning so far back in that like limbo kind of pose astounding it's such a like such an iconic part of like what you think of when you imagine drunken boxing now is like that far lean back where you're like tilting the bottle into your face and like it's ah. incredible it feels like watching like a chaplain movie for the first time or singing in the rain and being like wow that is a performer like that is somebody that can do something with their body that is a once in a lifetime thing but that fight is also hilarious his face the entire time several of the jokes made um a lot of the moments built into choreo it's really really funny it is it's equal parts awe-inspiring and laugh out loud funny yeah which gives it uh such a every shot in like every big fight scene and set piece in this movie because there are like some smaller fights like the one at the market where he like kind of duels with the guy respectfully in like an exhibition match but they're friends and he gives them free fish uh the the, they're like the smaller moments but every one of like the big like showstopper like set piece fights every fucking cut is so dense with like comedy prop work face acting incredible choreo people selling hits like you wouldn't believe that like it it demands to be rewatched, and it's one that I think even, I I think that's part of why it's like so, uh, ingrained in like the zeitgeist of like what you think of when you think of kung fu movies, and why it's on like everybody's list, and why people that like aren't necessarily super into martial arts movies are like yeah, but like Drunken Master shreds, and like why it really like because you haven't seen anything like it since yeah, because it's still like to this fucking day, every one of those fights you watch it and you're like. I, I want to rewind that. Like, I want to just go back and watch because it Because actual magic got caught on camera yeah. and we got to be there for it. And and I think because you, like, you know, realize in the moment that you're watching it that you're like, I can't just keep re-watching every one of the... I can't rewind every fight scene five times like I want to because, like, that's absurd behavior. But I am going to have to rewatch this movie, like, every six to eight months for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's honestly the path that I'm on. Uh, yeah. And it's great. Uh, it's great it's like a warm blanket it's been a pretty great way to spend the last couple years of my life um and that fight is so funny and so charming and so drunken boxing that it is so much more alarming when you see that second drunken boxing fight and it's terror the entire time um like it's funny sometimes but it's funny in a way that also kind of makes you upset where it's like ha 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 he threw up in the middle of the fight oh my god his insides are dying like 
<laughs> and the, like so much of the you know what is like physical comedy like the yeah like the boot and rally where he gets too fucking wasted to fight and he's like hang on and he punches himself in the stomach so hard that he barfs it is funny but it's also deranged because there's like, blood vessels popping yeah, in his eyes he's, he's beat red i still don't know how they got jackie that red it's got to be some makeup but like he it looks like he's just that red i don't know like he looks just his eyes are watering and he's wet yeah. and and then there's there's the scene where they're like he's fighting uh who's it ken low i think uh he they're fighting and he stomps away angry for a second and like the rhythm of the fight it's so <laughs> it's such a choice that like they're fighting they're right up close to each other and i think he like takes a couple of hits or something but he just gets angry and he stomps away and just paces for a second and then walks back over and keeps fighting. And it's not like the wheels on meals moment of like, I got to get out of my head. You know, like, getting loose, yeah, shaking the arms. Or like, you know, like remembering like a secret technique. And, and it almost like reads in the moment like he's going to walk away and then like run over, like charge and do some cool move or whatever. But it's literally just a drunk who is so boiling over with rage that he got hit in the face and he's like oh fuck and he walks away for a second and he's like oh my god and it's then that he sees him again himself. yeah that he's like just not in control of his body at this point so he walks away and then walks back over continues fighting he does possessed by a drunk entity in ways where like in the first f- drunk fight it's very like it feels more slapstick and in the second one, it feels almost fucking demonic. And like, like, and kind of like tragic at points because you like his father has him sworn to not drink. And it's kind of a like decorum and like, no, traditional kung fu, the drunken boxing brings shame. But he clearly has a problem. He has a fucking problem. The second he gets a sip of alcohol, he kills the bottle and he's like, someone get me more wine. Like he cannot, he's incapable of drinking a glass of wine. Like he is an addict. And the second they like throw him a bottle, he chugs it. And then he's like more and will drink until there's no alcohol in the vicinity. Oh yeah. To the point of like his body falling apart. It's I, okay. If your family and you're listening to this, you're not allowed to mention this or hold it against me. Um, (laughs) Hi grandma. Hi grandma. Uh, So I'm an ex addict. I've been clean for years now. Um, uh, my drug of choice is uppers and I should not have them. Um, and, uh, it's something that I'm not like at all ashamed to discuss in any way because I don't think there should be. And I think the way we talk about it, uh, is real shitty because we act like not everybody needs the insulin to survive the world, the insulin, the insulation that we need to like survive the world. And we have it in different varying layers yeah um, and i mean everybody's got unique brain chemistry and exactly. you know, everybody's wired a little different physiologically but like even i in the moment the first time this happened laughed because it did feel kind of comical in a very terrifying way um the first time i did coke which was my drug of choice everyone was like oh be careful and i was like I didn't binge drink the first time I had a beer. Like, it's fine. Um, and then I tried it for the first time and then continued doing it for nine hours. Jesus. <laughs> and to where it was, like, so passive that I was just like, yeah, I'm just talking about presidents in a dirty motel room at four in the morning. It's fine. <laughs> this uh, is normal behavior this is for me. normal. I'm still functioning. I'm getting to where I need to be on time in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and... 
like that moment where he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to have a drink to loosen up. And then he's just, it's like, an, it's like his own arm is controlling him. Cause he's like drinking past the point that is fun and comfortable. Yeah. Like when his dad is pouring that jug of wine into his face and he's opening his mouth. Yeah. No. And he drinks it until he is just screaming. Like he could close his mouth or turn his head away or try to move. But his, his dad is force feeding him liquor and he drinks it until he starts screaming like an animal because his body is rebelling and forcing him to stop. Yeah. It's and horrifying. It's and it's like so played, fucking scary. It's like largely played for laughs, but it's also like and and I think a lot of this is that kind of like Lao Carlong like d- direction and like aesthetic where uh, you know everything is kind of like whimsical and like almost like in the world of like magical realism because kung fu becomes its own like mystical magical element that's like oh these people are superhuman but it's also often like depicting bloody revolutions and like moments in history in which people like beat each other to death on battlefields and like ripped each other apart with like hooked blades and things and so it's like that there is you know, kind of equal respect given to both of those things. So it's like, oh, it's slapstick and it's comedy and it's fun and whimsical. And like Kung Fu is basically magic. These guys are superhuman. But also he drinks to the point of personal ruin. <laughs> like that's that's all in the same narrative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I, uh, I, I don't know uh, that this uh, even necessarily has any... Uh, bearing i realized i was like ready to start this story and didn't know how i was going to land it so with that uh with that caveat uh just because i didn't uh maybe want to like leave you uh hanging out there exposed without uh volunteering uh myself that uh i also uh had a drinking problem for a, a good while good couple of years there uh and earlier when we were uh watching these uh two movies back to back you had mentioned uh, a thing that happens in addiction sometimes where like you are high functioning enough that when you, when you acknowledge whatever version that we decided that term was, but right. Right. Uh, But you know, that you sometimes will acknowledge like, yeah, I think I have a problem and friends who, you know, maybe even like enjoy doing substances with you. Oh yeah. Which all don't talk to me anymore. Yeah, no, of course you lose a lot of friends that way. Uh, But like, you know, many friends might be like, what? Like you're fine. You're, you know, you're getting to work, you're getting your shit done. You're paying your bills better. Like I think people were happier with me when I was like using a lot because I was like getting more stuff done and showing up to places more and like, more sociable and they're the like, ones who are throwing you wine bottles in the middle of a street fight and being like he's a drunken master like you can, you can do it i mean basically You're getting stronger yeah. i literally won a comedy competition because i was just fueled by cocaine the entire time like awake the whole time and so when i was quitting everyone was like why you don't have a problem yeah and i was like i'm doing it alone in my apartment at like two in the afternoon that's that is for what a problem, sure a problem is. That's yeah. a problem. And it was just like, well, you're not buying that much and you look fine and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I know I'm not fine. Yeah. Like this does not feel fine. Uh, well, I, w- I was <laughs> going to say that like for me, uh, the first time that I went out with a group of friends that like had previously uh, been around me when I was drinking and they offered me a drink and I was like, actually, I'm I'm cutting back. Before I said anything else, everyone in the group 
was like nodding and we're like that's so good like that makes oh a lot my of God. sense and, that, and you mentioning like yeah there's always the friends that are like oh why but like you know you don't you don't have a problem come on have fun drink with us everyone in the group that had drunk with me before was like oh that's so good oh i'm so glad like that that's such a great choice for you i totally get it and i hadn't even said like I'm cutting back because I think I had. A, I was like, oh, I'm actually cutting back. It could have been like I'm on a diet or something. But I'm they taking were taking an antibiotic. Yeah, they were immediately like, "Yup." And that was like the moment that I was like, "Oh fuck, this was worse than I thought it was." Mm-hmm. That was such a weird like wake up call moment for me, where I was like already like, "Oh, I should like." I, I think at that point I was like, "I should drink less," and then I was like, "Oh, maybe I'm not a person that should drink at all." Uh, and I I will say I never uh, I never got into a fight. Uh, thankfully while I was uh, drinking I do have scattered memories of trying to fight but I like with the caveat that I don't think I was ever the type of drunk uh, regardless of how much I fucking love fighting uh, who would just be like I'm gonna go start a fight with someone like an asshole like I'm gonna go shove somebody and punch them or whatever Uh, so what I would always do is politely, like if someone else seemed like they were kind of in the same, uh, relative headspace that I was, I'd be like, Hey man, I I know this is weird, but is there any chance you would be interested in having a fist fight with me? Not like we're going to try to kill each other or like, there's no, you know, not like knives or anything, but just like go outside, punch each other up a little bit just like have a good time man and most people uh unsurprisingly were like no <laughs> no that doesn't I've sound seen fun. you try this sober yeah no i mean that tracks but yeah very very similar but just messier uh and i do remember one time that a dude was like yeah man fuck yeah let's do that that sounds cool and i was like yeah let's go and we walked outside and his friend like came and found him because I, I think his friend was like outside smoking. and was just like, hey, what are, what are you doing, dude? Are you taking off? He's like, no, nah, this guy is he's going to fight me. And I was like, yeah, we're going to fight, man. He's like, why? And he's like, I don't know. He wants to fight me. And I uh, tried to throw a punch at him and realized as soon as I threw the punch and I like have this in my, like burned in my memory as a weird like, you know, those moments where you're like under the influence of something. So you're like. A thousand miles from reality. The moments of clarity. Right. When you're like a thousand miles from reality, you're like completely fucked up. And then suddenly you sober up and you're like, oh, wait, like, like, you know, if you're very, very high or very, very drunk and then like something catches on fire and you're like, wait, I'm sober. I'm on alert now. Yeah. Uh, I had that when a guy unrelated to the drugs uh, fainted in front of us. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's diabetic and he just hadn't eaten anything all day. No. Yeah, 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 that's scary to approach when you're under the influence of anything. <laughs> Actually, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, no. <laughs> Nobody noticed it for a second because someone else was telling a story and it was kind of long winded. And he slumped back onto a car and started snoring. Uh, <laughs> because like, yeah, that's how he fainted. And the guy went, oh, what am I? Fuck you, man. I take I take as long to take a story as I take as long to take a story. And then he slides off the car and hits the ground. Jesus. And everyone realizes it wasn't a bit. He like needs. And thankfully, my parents are diabetic. So I immediately was just like, I'm sober now. You go get me a cup of juice. You go get me this. Yeah. You call this. You go look through a shit and get me this. Uh, and like just started assigning everything and just like started. I like checked for a pulse and I was like, OK, cool. So I'm just going to like try and wake him up. Um, sobered up so fast. But, like, for longer than any of us would ever care to admit, it legitimately looked like 
he was, yeah, he was just mocking like, this, him. It was a boring ass story. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> like we all went like, ha, 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 ha. yeah, it does suck. This is a terrible and story. He just collapses to the ground. And that guy didn't get to be like, so you all thought my story sucked because we all agreed. Right. Because that had just. Yeah. It's because he's just like, oh, this guy, this guy needs help. Oh, man. So good. I'm so sorry to interrupt. You no, just no. Made me think of it uh, that my, my, uh, meanwhile, my long-winded story uh, was just that I uh, <laughs> threw a single punch and immediately, terrifyingly realized that it was like three feet away from even being able to hit him you know like i was like not even within like not even close to being in arm's reach of this you were dude. cartoon drunk guy i was cartoon drunk guy and i threw a punch and in my mind was so clearly like yeah this is gonna be a crisp jab and just crisp flailed jab. my right arm three feet away from the man and like realized that my body was absolutely not going to do what i asked it to do and i think i threw that one punch and the dude was like wait man are we going to fight for real or are we playing? And I was like, I don't know. And then his friend scooped him up and was like, let's just go, dude. You have a good night. And I was like, you guys too. And that was, you know, that was the entire encounter. We didn't end up fighting because his friend who was more sober was like, this is stupid. Uh, but that one attempted punch sobered me up so quickly because I was like, oh, I can't fight drunk. That's not a thing at all. Like, I am not Jackie Chan in Drunken Master. I cannot, like, it doesn't make you do cool balance things where you look like you're gonna fall and then you plant your foot and throw a really strong punch or like you spin around and kick him i'm like no i just can't aim at things i thought i was punching a guy and he was very far yeah. away and uh i like legitimately remember in that moment thinking about this movie and being like oh wait this isn't this, jackie, I, lied. I, jackie lied to me <laughs> and uh I, th I think kind of uh to a generation of uh of kids who like spent a lot of their childhoods believing that if you drank the correct amount of of liquor you get really cool at fighting you basically become booze popeye you become oh booze like alcohol yeah popeye with spin spinach but booze i for some reason was thinking like b-o-o -O apostrophe s like boo from mario like the big ghost or majin boo from dragon ball z don't know why majin boo from dragon ball z is b-u-u uh, yeah, no, I, well, the first one was Boo from Mario. The second one was B-U-U. B-U-U feels weird to say. B-U-U, it does. Both of us are, uh, well, I was going to say sober. You've been uh, consuming a little bit of weed. Uh, I just I've had like, a joint. Okay, I felt like it was important to clarify because we were both talking about being uh, former addicts to, and then saying B-U-U sounds <laughs> weird. I was like, I want y'all to know we're not high right I'm now. California sober, which California means everything sober. but pot. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, anyways, uh, Wong Fei-Hung in this movie has a problem. Uh, the last scene that is in the the Amazon uh, upload that we watched, which uh, we like rented okay, it, I think, clarify. on Amazon. <clears throat> yeah. You and I have seen what everyone else has largely seen, which right. is the dimension cut. Yes, the which was slightly edited, but not like horribly butchered. Yeah, actually one of the least cut of Jackie Chan's films when it came to the U.S. And they specifically cut a scene that I actually agree <laughs> with why oh, they cut it. Oh, absolutely. This um, was my first time seeing that wildly. Same here. Uh, did not know. Um, so normally the film ends with uh, Jackie Chan defeating that guy and then blowing bubbles because his, in his insides are fucking poison. Yeah. And then it cuts. It literally cuts on like the bubble and the faint. Yeah. Um. 
and we were watching a version. We rented it. I don't remember from like what service because it was, it, it was Amazon. It was, it was okay, yeah. so it was. Um, <laughs> so it continued, and there's no sound or subtitles, presumably because these just did not exist for it, and they just added it to this version. Yeah, which by the way felt sort of haunted as we we're watching it. It because felt real fucking creepy. It was like man. yeah, suddenly there's no sound coming from the TV, and I legitimately like checked to see if it was muted. There's no audio and no subtitles, and I checked to make sure that like I talked the... to make sure I didn't suddenly go deaf. Yeah, and I'm like checking the language options and stuff, making sure subtitles are still on. And you're like, yeah, we we didn't do anything. It's just not working. And then you, I think you were the first person to be like. Also, I don't remember this scene. And I'm like, me neither. It had been a while since I saw it, so I wasn't going to say. And I was like, this didn't exist. I've never seen this. I've seen this movie so many times. This is not... I've never seen this. Yeah. And I've seen this movie more than I've seen most things. Right. And, like, I also just, like, had never, like, looked it up and known that there was, like, an additional ending scene that was cut. So it, like, felt very uh, strange and haunted, this weird silent extra scene in which... Ah, this does not feel good to say. Okay, so I grandly gestured to Vanessa because I didn't want to describe it because I had to look it up because I was like, "What the fuck is happening here?" There's an official. There's a ceremony. So there's a ceremony in which a general comes to give the family a medal of honor for what they did for China, Uh, but noticeably Wang Fei Hung is not there, and Wang Fei Hung and uh, their butler, housekeeper, assistant, servant, whatever, uh, Cho is there and uh you could see wong fei hung has a cane presumably because he went blind from drinking everything that he drank because his insides were dying but then he turns to reveal that he is also uh mentally impaired and jackie is doing exactly what you think an actor in that era would be doing to depict that hold on uh i don't even know that I would give it the grace that you just did because that is not what I would imagine an actor in the early to mid nineties uh, would do to portray that. That is what I imagine a 13 year old boy would do <laughs> in the yes, early to mid nineties to portray accurate. that. Because what a 13 year old boy who is trying to make someone cry would do. Yep. Um, it, it fully just reads as bullying. <laughs> as Wong Fei Hung. Um, That's Wong Fei-Hung, historical hero. Actual historical hero. Ah. Um, So I think Dimension (laughs) might have been right on the money with that cut. Yeah, this was very rarely... I was fine with not seeing it. Very rarely do I agree with the decisions made by like the the American distributor in editing an Asian martial arts film where it's like, oh, they they cut scenes out because they're like, oh, American audiences won't get it. And I'm like, just give us a whole movie. Let us decide what what we get. In that one, I'm like, you're right. Cut that shit out. Could live I'm my good. whole life without seeing that. It is astoundingly inappropriate. Um, <laughs> and also just the fact that the original ending of the film that I have not known my entire life, the intended ending of the film is that Wong Fei Hung beats the bad guy, uh, stops the smuggling operation, saves the steel mill and his father's uh, you know, medical practice, is a big hero. Uh but then damages his brain and goes blind from drinking industrial fucking rocket fuel grade liquor. And the ending is just like, yep, he's not okay anymore. He's he's in a lot of pain. That's all, folks. The ending. Everyone laughs and is just like, oh, that's what happened to him. Uh-oh. Ooh. Oh, boy. Um, before we get out of The Shining, I just want to give a shout out to that terrifying bamboo weapon that uh, yes. 
was used for one of my favorite fights in the movie in which it can flay, it can cut, it can stab, it can tread, it can hit. Uh, it's incredible. It's such a well-placed piece of bamboo that looks so fucking painful uh, in every application. And I think we should get one for the house. Sorry, our cats uh, hit Elijah in the head for attention. I know. I wasn't even going to acknowledge it because I'm a total fucking pro, You're baby. a total fucking pro. Didn't break for a second. Anyways. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Before, I had uh, two things. Again, I know we don't want it to be a three-hour episode. I just can't talk about no, this one for, for too it. long. Go for it, Muffin. Because like, we didn't even really talk about the fights. And I just want to say the fights are pretty sweet. <laughs> No. Okay. A hot couple take. Th- hot take. Fights are pretty sweet. Pretty great. Uh, hot take. Uh, courtesy Olivia Hydart. No. <laughs> that that sounds very much like something that Olivia would say. Um, For context, Olivia and I watched uh, Detective Pikachu, and in the middle of the movie, she turned to me and said, <clears throat> "The thing about Detective Pikachu that makes him really unique is that he has a little hat." And, uh, and she's not wrong. <laughs> That is the thing about and it. And that might just be funny to me. No, it's very funny to me as well. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, the, the fights, I do really love the uh, diversity of the choreography. And something, uh, because the first Drunken Master uh, was Yonwoo Ping uh, doing the choreo. And uh, it is also f- fucking phenomenal. And, uh, you know, the choreo rules. And, of course, Yonwoo Ping has done some of the best fight scenes uh, in the film history. Uh, but something about, uh, like a, a difference between, you know, the choreography and the two is that like Lao Kardong being more of a martial artist himself, uh, I, I think than, uh, Wu Ping, uh, was, there is this kind of like respect and reverence to a lot of these, uh, traditional, uh, forms. And so you have different characters kind of representing different stuff. And like Jackie himself does, you know, a bunch of different styles of like Kung Fu, uh, and something that I love about it is that, like, uh, I- in that way that a lot of, like, classic Shaw Brothers stuff would do where they're switching between, like, you know, this is my, like, tiger style, this is my, you know, uh, cosmic palm or, you know, whatever. And they would, like, declare the name of the cool thing that they're doing and then, like, very visibly switch their entire, like, stance and form and the way their hands are, you know, curled or shaped or, you know, it- it's, like, a very distinct aesthetic. And this movie does a really fantastic job of doing that uh, just through its characters and through its scenes without necessarily doing the thing that, you know, I think by, you know, the early 90s when, when you know, this this film was coming out was like, would have been, would have read as like too cheesy, you know, to be like, now it's my tiger style. Now it's my crane stance. Now it's, you know, mantis, whatever. Uh, but it still like has that, you know, it still has the like, fluidity of like switching these styles and they are so like visually distinct in their choreography and portrayal that like you know the moments that he's like doing drunken boxing you're like there it is and it just like really pops uh and i love that like that last fight uh you know before i had ever like confirmed that uh like yes that is like taekwondo choreography just from like watching it you're like that dude does taekwondo because it's just like nothing but sweet flashy high kicks and like whipping his legs around in a way that you're like, yeah, he's, he's doing taekwondo. And, uh, I, I, I just love that about the, the fights in this movie. And, uh, another reason why it's like compulsively rewatchable. Uh, but also, uh, from the conversation up top to now, uh, I think have, have finally like kind of cracked, uh, you know, the, the additional, 
uh, wrinkle of why Jackie is like still just the the blueprint for all drunken boxing on on screen. And it was uh, both confessing uh that you know my my number two pick despite there being other like fantastic portrayals of it is that rock lee version i'm like yeah you have to draw a cartoon to get it to look this good and talking about how dense every take of this is i realized that like there was a period of time in you know like hong kong film that jackie and his stunt team and you know th this director and that lead and that stunt team and like that group of dudes would be able to like sit there and spend as long as it fucking took to get this piece of choreo and to get this take and like i don't think that anyone before or since has really like had that kind of power and luxury to be like oh no when i throw this bag in the air and then punch that guy and spin around and catch the bag it has to look exactly like this. I will be on fire for this amount of time. Yeah. And it's like, that's not something that I can like physically do on the first or 20th or 50th try, but we're going to keep rolling until I fucking get it. Yeah. That much backing isn't put into martial arts films as much anymore. Like that level of control, because I think it's one of those things uh, that requires such a tight line of communication that, uh, producers don't know how to not touch it. Yeah, and it's also like, you know, you, you have uh, guys now, like for some reason, one of the only other like, uh, or like just one of the drunken boxing scenes that popped into my head immediately was a, a movie called uh, Die Fighting, I believe that's like a found footage martial arts movie that's very cool, very fun, uh, but was like low budget indie and like great performers. The dudes are all like incredible like fighters and stuntmen. Uh, and they do like a big like drunken boxing set piece and it's like it's cool it's fun it's good but does not hold a candle and it's like yeah they also you know i'm sure did not have weeks and weeks to spend on like every fight or oh, whatever with like, people that know you and know your style and yeah. have worked with you consistently and it's just yeah that that jackie thing of being able <clears> to <throat> like yeah having the resources and the time and physical ability and like cast chemistry and star power to call for the kind of funding that would need to be there for these kinds of things yeah it's it's the reason why like yeah we really like don't have a lot of things that are comparable to this and also why it is such a fucking masterpiece like why it's such an inimitable piece of art that you watch and you're still like you can point to multiple scenes in that movie in the year 2021 and say like there is no other scene that is as cool as this <laughs> you know you can yeah. still point to it and be like this is still the most badass thing in it's film differentiates it from like as good as any cg fight can get yeah no to like elevating it to this point of like no this belongs in a museum this is yeah. like one of the great achievements of human art um which is kind of why i think i'm i'm happy that you convinced me to stay with my pairing yeah you waffled on a bit but when we watched them back to back i was like no this is this is the best i waffled on a bit and if genre didn't if genre wasn't uh an issue i actually would have picked the world's end yeah uh, no i think world's end is maybe just the best pairing for it uh i think so much of the dynamics and the actual like premise of the movie would work so well back to back with this but uh watching them together <laughs> i mean first of all watching them together you're watching two of the greatest films ever made together so that's a pretty great double feature regardless. 
Um, but watching them together, they work so much more uh, when it comes to like the themes of uh, alcohol destroying a family um, and father-son dynamics. Father-son um, interpersonal violence. And axes through wood. Yeah, a lot of axe chopping. There's, there's axe violence. There's father-son violence. Uh, there is... Oh, there's one other big overlap that I was that I was like shocked to see when we watched it and I'll remember it at some point. Uh but yeah, my pick to go with Drunken Master 2 is The Shining. Ugh. I thought we'd get to it at some point. We did Doctor uh, Sleep first. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, why we had another, to live on the other brain. That's another one of our and actually God, we're doing Legend of Drunken Master. Our long history of always covering sequels before the originals. <laughs> we covered Doctor Sleep many episodes <laughs> before we got to The Shining. I don't know why we're like this either, y'all. Yeah. We just uh I don't know. I think the first movies of things uh are whack. Going on record now. I don't uh, think se- they're whack. Sequels I'm not as, are always better. I'm not goofy like <laughs> Elijah is. Nope. Every sequel is better than the original. <clears throat> I, I just th- think... Uh, I think the inverse of the law of diminishing returns is true. I think that every film franchise gets better with each successive... In- in- uh, I just think it's more fun <laughs> to talk about things that don't have obvious general consensus. Because I don't want to like yell into a void all the time. That's true. It's why anytime I did like movie fights for screen junkies, everyone's like, why don't you pick the obvious win? And I'm like, because that's fucking boring. That's true. Talking it's about things boring. that like everyone already agrees universally is a masterpiece and have already like discussed to death. Is, is I'm just yelling into an echo chamber. Versus, so tell like, me about The Shining. People, <laughs> versus telling people why Osmosis <laughs> Jones is great if you take out all of the live action parts. It's true. Um, the animated part is a great movie. The live action parts are the Fairley brothers committing a hate crime against humanity. Anyways. It's rough, uh, it's rough stuff. <laughs> so yes, The Shining. I know it felt kind of obvious, but also it's one of those things where the movie in its magnitude can't really be compared to anything else and vice versa. Yeah. Um, there's like a couple movies where maybe we've done some similar things like that um, where it kind of feels like putting a... Uh, 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 caviar on some chicken nuggets um, and <laughs> I don't mind in fact I love caviar on some chicken nuggies um, do you actually eat that no but I'm gonna do it okay it might not be hmm. you've had caviar it's good yeah and you've had chicken nuggies and they're good <laughs> yeah but just taking two good foods and eating them at the same time doesn't always work out for me yeah well watch <laughs> Christmas dinner and tell me again if that's what we're gonna have for Christmas, I just decided. Okay. <laughs> caviar and chicken nuggies. <laughs> Anyways, this one is just caviar s- stuffed and inside of caviar. a lobster. Yeah, there you go. That's a better one. <laughs> stuffed inside of a lobster. Yep. Dipped in some foie. I don't know, man. Sometimes movies are as revered as they're supposed to be because they're magnificent. Yeah. Um, and. Drunken Master 2 is one of those things, and The Shining is one of those things uh, for many reasons. Um, every, but in both movies, every performance is utterly fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, in Drunken Master 2, you have the father who's very, like, charming and sweet and kind, and then you have, like, the bombastic personalities of Jackie and Anita Mui's characters. Um, in this, they're, you know, 
the things that we all know now through the passage of time, which is uh, history has been very cruel to Shelley Duvall's performance in this, and we all now know she's fucking amazing. I think it was the the Variety review. I, you know, I might I might be wrong, and at the risk of slandering the wrong publication, I believe it was Variety that at the time published a review of the film like opening weekend. In I think the review was like. They called Let, her like a screaming idiot oh, or something. Oh no no! They called her the R word. Oh They my legitimately used the God. R word slur. They they pulled a full uh, Jackie Chan's performance at the end of the uncut version of Drunken Master Two in this review. Uh, they used the R word slur directed like in a hateful, targeted way at her performance in their officially published fucking review. Like they bullied her. Uh, and I think the entire review was like less than 500 words and it's hilarious to look at it, you know, now, of course, over the passage of time where it's like, this is considered one of the greatest works of cinema and someone's like opening weekend review was like, this is garbage, zero stars. Well, even then just like other people talking about her performance in that as like the blemish on something perfect and not something that makes everything the sum of its parts. Her performance is like one of the yeah, one of the most important aspects of it and is so perfect. Her performance tells you why uh she's not running away and what kind of dude Jack is even without the hotel. Yeah, absolutely. It like I you know what? I think this is it's very much uh the result of like the kinds of conversations had around like survivors of domestic abuse mm, where it's mm-hmm. like, why didn't she just fucking leave? Yeah. Like that's stupid. Why did, why did she stick around for that? Like, Oh, can you imagine like you, your fucking boyfriend hits you and then you stay with him for six years? Ugh. And I feel like that's been the conversation for like decades, you know? And so like at, in the years since this film came out, it's this attitude of like, what was she doing there? Like, why didn't she leave as soon and as he since started we've, acting like, crazy? And had more conversations about it, we're like, oh, no, she's giving it exactly the mm-hmm. amount. Like, mm-hmm. she has so much sympathy, so much empathy for Wendy. Yeah. Um, and she gives Wendy such a such a humanity and such a feeling of, like, she just so desperately wants everything to be okay that she'll, like, pretend it is if that's what she has to do to yeah. make it be okay. Um, and she is at every moment doing everything in her power to protect herself and more than herself, her son. She is doing so much to protect that kid. And like that, that is what reads in that performance to me. She's walking a a minefield and no one but her can see the landmines. mm -hmm. And she's, she's doing, doing and saying exactly what she needs to every moment to make sure that like things do not escalate for her and her son. She may not know how to get out, but she knows how to keep it from getting worse. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's going to do for as long as she has to. And uh, I I am so in love with Shelley Duvall in this movie. Like, every time I see her on screen, I feel such a tenderness for her. Um, like, she is doing everything in her power to make me, like, love her and want to, like, reach out to her and, like, take care of her. Um, which makes everything that happens to her so terrifying. Yeah. Like so much of what's horrific in this movie is how much you don't want something to happen to Wendy and Danny. Yeah. They are both so likable and so just like 
sweet and charming and endearing at every step and like yeah very like sympathetic characters where you're just like yeah that's you know we've all been in bad situation or the, like i don't know i i have and a lot of people have like you know well, been they in, like, both also have like such specific responses to a trauma that we haven't seen and everyone else is playing off and not offering them the help that they need that they've like learned how to change their behaviors yeah. the whole time to where they're just rolling through these insane escalations that jack has because they remember and they've learned how to work around it yeah no and like I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, have reduced it to, you know, like, oh, like the first time he, you know, was like at the when he's at the typewriter and she like interrupts and he's like, you know, when you see me in this room, I am fucking working and gets super aggressive with her. I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's so ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't she just leave there? And it's like, I, I think people maybe do forget that, like, so, spoiler, she and Danny survive. They make it out. They, they they fucking live to fight another day. They get out of this situation. She does everything right. Like she does, the, which is like one of my favorite things in horror is when a character is making like kind of the good, responsible, smart decisions and it's still difficult or, you know, maybe they still don't get out. Because like that's that's the scary version. When you can point to the screen and be like, oh, well, you know, why'd, why'd they run into the basement and, you know, instead of running outside? uh it gets because less terror scary. because terror you, makes you right. insane but like you know when when it's like oh the character made bad decisions it's easier to like not be afraid of that because you're like oh well i would have survived because i would have made right the right decisions i think a lot of people that are like discrediting her performance or character uh wouldn't have wouldn't have made it out of the fucking building i think that it would have been an immediate escalation in which a very dangerous man killed them both and she knows what to do and what to say to like keep him at arm's reach long and enough keep to like him away from Danny, keep him away from Danny long enough to like get a baseball bat when she needs to like to get Danny somewhere else to like, you know, get a hold of someone on a radio to like do whatever she needs to do to like get She's Danny out that fucking window and planning and, you know, trying to like in her head set out the things in motion that she needs to do. And like, it makes those moments where she's just quietly biding her time and watching over Danny so scary. Yeah. Where she's just kind of watching the clock and being like, all right, I made it another hour. And like the title cards really add to it Yeah, where it's just like, all right, 6 PM. I made it another hour. How am I going to make it to eight o'clock? Nine o'clock is when this is like, I'm going to put this part of the plan into motion. The scene, I maybe my favorite scene in the movie, uh, when she tells Danny, like, I'm going to go talk to your dad for a minute. I'll be right back. And it's still very much like, you know, everything is fine. Everything is cool. Please stay here. I'm just going to go talk to your dad. And then we see her in the background of the shot while Danny is still like parked in front of the TV, walk into the other room, pick up a baseball bat and leave. And it is so much like it's, it's kind of comical in it's like absurdity and like presentation and like, you know, just the, the cool detachment of like, I'm going to go talk to him and then picking up a baseball bat is like such a striking visual, but is also every moment that like a mother doing her best in a terrifying situation has tried to like shield her child from how scary the fucking world is. It's like such a perfect depiction and like encapsulation of that moment of just like, it's like the quiet hand over your lap when they hit the brakes Yeah, where it's just like, you don't know what's happening in their head, but in their head, they're just like, just in case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 
there I, I think that's why you feel that tenderness for Wendy because she like has that characteristic that every mom has of like I I'm gonna make sure you're okay while also making sure you feel the most okay right yeah which is such a I mean, you know, I've I've not yet uh, had the experience of bear- being a parent, but, like, seems so difficult and, like, such an impressive thing to me. And, like, she carries that in her performance. And uh, just, just on the d- note of performances in this film, I'm always, uh, I go back and forth on this where you always hear about, like, Kubrick requiring, like, a thousand takes for someone opening a door and being, like, so such an artiste that he was he would accept nothing less than perfection and my general feeling is like yo if it takes you that many you know takes for someone to open a door the right way like you're a bad director you suck at what you're doing like you're actually (laughs) just an asshole like even if you're a good director like it sounds like maybe you just have like i mean potentially an un treated or undiagnosed like obsessive compulsive disorder or, or just like a power thing because power like thing. you can get emotional performances out of people and help them tap into maybe some uncomfortable or bad emotions that they need to like think about to get to that place but you could do it with them not yeah to them. not at them yeah and i think that idea of like you were all like dolls in my dollhouse you were all props from my artistic vision uh is terrible film is collaborative the it's a collaborative only dude effort i knew that talked like that was a director that like talked like that i mean does didn't actually like get work but like spoke like that talked like jack torrance <laughs> there you go yeah no and that's okay and that, that's an entire secondary thing where i feel like the character of jack torrance could only exist from the hands of men who themselves are somewhat monstrous like stephen king at the time and you know stanley kubrick who like i think he's both, the icky mirror to like yeah i think like you have to have some of that in you to create that character and like you know to varying degrees like obviously neither of them was like out axe murdering people but like there is some We're not throwing level, stones. Everybody yeah. has some level of a very, very dark thing in them. Right. And I say this uh, by by volunteering uh, that, like, the character of Jack Torrance is so effectively frightening to me because I see, you know, myself reflected in that at times. That, like, there are moments that I watch him on screen and I'm like, I've been that. Not to that extent. Not with as severe of, you know, repercussions and not, like with the same level of like malice but like i've been that you know i've in done those some things. moment in our lives we've even felt flashes of that we may have not acted on it but it's fucking there yeah <laughs> and like that like the moments of like just unbridled selfishness the moments of uh you know complete like narcissism and like defensiveness in this relationship where it's like everything is about me i am the main character if you were like paying attention to danny it's because you're trying to like do something to me in some way like that thought process of just it is always about how it's affecting him like we've all been selfish assholes at points in our lives and so there are moments of that that feel so terrifying to me that I'm just like oh god like what if I've been that like what if I become that like I actually weird to bring this up but I bring it up in two points because it actually is going to come up in two points uh one of the best depictions of that thing that i've ever seen is psychonauts 2 um in which the villain of the story who's this like uh murderous creature is gonna have spoilers um it's uh, it's not gonna be spoilers to what it is or like who it is or why Mm -hmm. but the villain of the story is like a murderous creature that did like that's super scary and has done some like 
heinous things. Um, but Raz, the titular character, is like, this darkness in you exists in everyone, and some people have to tap into it sometimes um to survive something but you're not there anymore you have to put it away now or it's gonna kill everything you love jesus uh i know psychonauts is an incredibly emotionally intelligent like the the second was an incredibly emotional emotionally intelligent game and i actually thought of it a lot during the shining specifically because of that scene and it also depicts uh alcohol alcoholism actually any kind of addiction in a way that is smarter than anything i've ever seen like the shining is an interesting way i'm not saying it's like necessarily like i I, i'm not saying it's like unsmart but i'm i'm saying that in terms of like an examination it just looks at the horror of it it just looks at like the scary parts of it i i think Um, that i i take the shining almost as more of an examination of like a narcissistic personality disorder, like a, a monstrous dude who is so uh, self-aggrandizing and self-important that like everyone else becomes a prop to his story. And like the addiction is almost secondary to that. The addiction like, feels secondary. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's five months sober when they get there and is still, that's so, still there in him. Yeah. It's the alcohol wasn't the excuse. It was the lubricant. It was the, it, yeah. Like uh, the alcohol gave him permission to be the to thing that the, is just below the surface. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why whenever I like talk about it in terms of like it's a depiction of alcohol, there are like scary points that are relatable, but not entirely because it is secondary to the kind of person that Jack Torrance is. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the actual depiction of, uh, addiction. I don't think I've actually seen anything better than Psychonauts two. Oh, I, I uh, still have to play it. I haven't. I haven't done it yet. But also I, the oh, good. without spoiling anything, just how it handles, how it happens, and uh, how it takes over, and then the kind of like new forever after recovery and like whatever that means. Excellent. Cannot recommend enough. If Love you that. play games, if you don't play games, you can even put it on super easy mode um, where yeah. nothing can kill you and you can just roll through it and watch the story. Like but like, narrative. I yeah. am telling you, it, like not just in ludo narrative storytelling, but like in storytelling general, that is the, de- best, the best depiction I've ever seen of addiction, bar none. That's rad. I, I got to do it. Yeah. And just you saying like just the concept of sometimes you you have to become a version of yourself that maybe isn't the best uh, as a survival mechanism, you know, like following some trauma or circumstance where you're like, I'm not going to get through this unless I adapt and become a person that is like, not who I'd like to be right now, but it's who, you know, Prickly who I have to or be. manipulative. Yeah. Or like, actually, today's the anniversary of something. I wrote something about that. Yeah. Um, this is weird timing. All right. Sorry, just I used to write more. Um, I've gotten busier. Well, you still write. It's just more like professional. Like you write for work. You write for your job. But. Yeah, but I mean, like I used to write more for me. Um, but I literally wrote something about this a year ago today. How oh, interesting. Is it uh, anything that I, I can read? Or is it like more, is it too personal? It might be. It's... May I? Uh, I'm if, reading if it. If you would for, like to, I'm yeah. reading it for the first time now, and if I hate it, I can edit it out because that's me. Uh, can Can I? Uh, while you were reading it to see if it's, or are you are you like ready to go? I was gonna I was gonna give you time to read it to oh, make I sure it was something it you wanted up. to share. Okay, yeah, go for it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, this is 2017 me. 
writing this. Oh, so it's been a few years. So it's been a four years, few years. Uh, but uh, to everyone who's ever lived to the very bad things and doesn't know what to do with the unfamiliar silence that comes with the peace. Sometimes bad habits are born of bad situations. Why does grandma oversalt that dish? Well, in case of another famine, it preserves the food. Why do we buy too many canned goods? Uh, do you remember the flood? Sometimes when you survive a bad situation, these survival tactics follow you and you resent them. They remind you of what made you develop them and make you feel like you deserved all of that terror. Why does she lie so much? Well, because truth was rewarded with violence. Why does she steal? She needed to scrape together money to escape. You punish yourself for this. You tell you that you never deserved rescue. You think about the fact that you just never knew what life was without fear. It's why feral animals panic when they're locked indoors, because they only know living in defense. Silence comes with not knowing anything at all. Sometimes you escape your personal war zone comes with regret, a remorse for the things you needed to do to survive or the things that you didn't do. Finding shelter and getting home from war comes with quick panic choices we think about in the tub while we allow ourselves a second to feel safe. We think of the people that we abandoned, the things left behind, the rash, life-saving decisions. We think of the calls we ignored of somebody trying to lure us back, like a cat scratching at a door, begging to be let back in after you let it out. Except that cat spent most of its time emotionally abusing and gaslighting you, or probably just being a regular cat. Cats are dicks. I didn't realize that I liked cats at this time. I eventually did. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't fault yourself for doing any of the things you needed to do to come home, to stay alive, or get out. I will never fault you. Your personal war zone is over. Set your load down. That was beautiful. Really? Yeah. I haven't, like, I literally just reread it this morning, and I was thinking about it as I was, like, watching both things and just, like, kind of thinking of the nature of both, like, addiction and, like, how things can get, like, a really grimy face when you don't, like, unload the things that you need to unload before you're, like, done with them as a safety mechanism. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, have, uh. You know, I think a, a version of that, as I'm sure uh, many people do, uh, that uh, I think also went hand in hand with my uh, little, uh, uh, my my former uh, drinking uh, problem, uh, which was that uh, yeah, when I was uh, 17 and had like uh, lost my mother, uh, and you know my my dad wasn't around, so I was like going very quickly from like high school kid. Uh, to like have to figure out how to like get an apartment and a job and survive and live uh and the job that i was like extremely lucky to get uh was in part paid uh with commission sales uh and so it felt very quickly like you know i was going from uh like most of my socializing was with my you know high school uh friends who were just like other shitty teenage boys uh to just like strangers coming in as customers and i have to convince them to buy things because if i don't get a high enough commission like this is what is literally keeping me from being homeless right now <laughs> like this mm -hmm. is what's like preventing me from you know uh yeah just being uh on the streets and so i very quickly was like i gotta shut off any anything in my brain that is you know my my like natural instinct right now because uh you know most of my talking at the time was again other teenage boys and we're like oh, the dungeons and dragons and whatever naruto <laughs> and that was you know not the uh personality that uh sold things and so i got 
I I think uh very good very quickly at like every person that walks in that door I'm going to be their best friend. They're going to be like you're the you're the coolest most interesting person I've ever met and I trust you implicitly. Tell me what to buy. And I uh very quickly was and I you know I say like oh I think I got very good at that. I was number one in the sale, like number one in the company nationwide. Uh, at it was a game crazy attached to Hollywood Video. Mm-hmm. I'd worked at the Hollywood Video for a while, and then the game crazy, which was like commission based, um, video game retail store, uh, that was a nationwide chain. And for a period of time, I was the number one in sales in the country across all stores. So I was empirically very good at this. And every person that walked in, I would ve- like do my little like fucking you know tv sherlock holmes thing of like based on entirely just like their physical appearance how they greeted themselves their body language and like you know aesthetic when walking in the door i'm gonna try to be the person that i think they will like the most and i got good at that and then i could not shut that off and that was my that was my personality for like five years of just like every person i meet i'm gonna try really hard to be the most lovable version of whatever I think they might be looking for. Because everyone has to like you. Yeah, because everyone has to like me. Because if they don't, they won't buy this really expensive video game console with a three-year extended service warranty and then also sign up for an MVP membership and subscribe to this magazine. You know, I'm like, I have to make all these sales and the only way they're going to believe, you know, this stranger when he tells them that they should spend $600 today that they were not planning on spending when they left the house is if he's the coolest motherfucker they've ever met. (laughs) And so... Yeah, that became my weird survival mechanism. And when I didn't know how to turn that off anymore and realized that, like, it has a really limited shelf life outside of, like, working retail, where, like, when it's someone you're going to continue interacting with, that doesn't hold up because there's not a personality there. Like, you you know, you, you're the weird, hollow, artifice version of the thing that you thought they wanted. Uh, and then after you've hung out with them or, like, known them or interacted with them for, like, three months, they're like, this guy's weird he does he's not he's not there uh and i think that was when i started drinking and that became like the substitute for the personality uh which is why when i now watch the shining uh the moments where he's interacting with people that are not danny and wendy like when he's interacting with uh you know even like the other like spirits in the hotel uh, he's such a different dude he's such a different dude when he interacts with the bartender and he's very like turning it on it's all charm it's all schmooze because that's who he is when he's like out in the world he's very much like i'm gonna be a guy that you love because we're only interacting for 20 minutes and i know i can keep this up for that long the only people that know the real him are afraid of him exactly yeah and like i you know again don't think that i was ever uh you know a fucking jack torrance of a person but I still like I watch it and I just like get so terrified of like this weird alternate reality version of, you know, maybe because he's also like aspiring writer and stuff. It just really uh, hits that point of like, God, I think that that is in me to a lesser extent. And yeah, it's probably in a lot of people, including the people that wrote this character and performed this character. Yeah, it sometimes it becomes a tool. It's yeah. not always a tool. Sometimes it's just something that hurts yeah. everyone. Sometimes it's uh, just a weapon that you don't realize you're swinging around. And uh, I think... Sometimes you become Wong <laughs> Fei Hung after he's drunk rocket fuel and is just a, a machine for violence. For him, it's quite literally an actual tool. Yeah. Um, in the case of Jack, I think 
especially the way he like behaves as a writer and like has all of the time and freedom in the world and isn't coming up with anything and blames it on Wendy. Yeah. Even though she talks to him like one time a day, every day. And he's like, you ruined my career. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like everything will always be someone else's problem. And the reason Jack needs all that insulation is because, uh, he cannot handle that what he feels his deficiencies are lie with him yeah no absolutely he he cannot handle that the call is coming from inside the house yeah like there's so much insecurity and it's this yeah kind of because i i think he does read as just a very like you know self-obsessed character because every time you know wendy is saying anything about like her or danny or anything else He's like, yeah, but did you think about how this affects me? It's always, you know, it's always him. But it's like this, you know, kind of like narcissism and egocentricity, you know, that's like, oh, it's always me. It's always me. But it is suspended on the flimsiest foundation of terrible insecurity where it's like, yeah, he, he does not believe in or respect himself as a writer he like knows that he's not good at this thing that he's trying to do. He knows that he's not a good dad. He knows that he's not a good husband. But yeah like confronting and any he's of consumed that. by the guilt of that yeah and confronting any of it would be so painful because it would just be admitting like i am the problem i am the asshole i am a monster all roads lead to it's jack torrance's fault yep and uh again that's a very real fucking thing where like so many people really struggle with the difficult painful messy guilty introspection of just saying you know what all I, the neon arrows are pointing to me right now, baby. Yep, like I'm, I am why my friendships suck right now. I am why I am like failing in these departments, and I can either say that it's me and address it, or I can blame everyone else, and then maybe it'll fix itself. Yeah, which is like the less painful option if I can convince everyone that it, they, it was, you know, Bill and Dave and Steve. Then you know, then I'm fine and i get to just keep coasting through life without uh substantial changes exactly uh until you eventually axe murder the cook and uh attempt to axe murder your family which before we get into jack perform jack blah, blah, blah. before we get into jack nicholson's incredible performance that made so many of these layered emotions possible uh shout out to scatman carruthers uh for a great performance in a role that he was cheated in yeah no they did him so fucking dirty and i understand that like you need him to kill somebody with an axe because like danny and wendy have to survive the whole thing is that it's isolated you need to find a reason to put someone there and he has to kill someone because 10 more minutes man i know like it i get it because if he doesn't murder somebody with an axe there's no point of no return at this point anything that he has done is Is not is a threat and is not actually tangibly as bad as when he dislocated his son's shoulder in a drunken rage like that's still the worst thing that's the worst thing until threatening wendy to bash her brains right he says he'll bash her brains in which is yeah absolutely horrific threat but in terms of like physical violence that cannot be walked back it's like we we don't know what kind of shit he said to wendy when he was drinking all the time yeah we know that he dislocated danny's shoulder and we know that she is already terrified of him we know this because the first time he tells her like don't you fucking interrupt me blah 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 she reacts like this is not the first time it's happened it kind of comes out of nowhere in that moment but she doesn't react like what she's like yep i'll make myself small so like 
it is entirely possible in a world in which he does not swing that axe into someone's chest that like he still talks Wendy back into it. You know, that he still finds a way to be a part of this kid's life and still like, cause he hasn't crossed that line yet. He didn't actually do the violence that you can never come back from. So I get it, but they fucking did him dirty. Like, He's on such a goddamn journey to get there. Hallard goes on this whole odyssey. And the fact that he's immediately established as, like, a cool guy who also has psychic powers and knows what's going on, you like you fully expect him to show up and, like, use psychic powers somehow. take his somehow. coat off. Yeah. Like, literally, like you said, give him ten minutes. Give him ten minutes let of, like, cat and mouse. Let him snow off his hat. Let him make some kind of different, like, you know, he uh, fucking stabs Jack in the leg and that's what helps him get away. Like, literally anything. He walks in, he's like, hey guys, axe chop. It's It's terrible. what makes the Willy portrayal of him in the Simpsons version. The Treehouse. The Treehouse of yeah. Horror version. So fucking funny because Willy dies in the doorway. And as a viewer, you're like, yeah. Uh, same he still has snow in his shoes. Yeah, exactly. It's basically the same thing. You're not stretching it by that much. Also, uh, the, the Treehouse scene of uh, All Work and No Play makes Homer a dull boy. Uh, is give me that march yeah give me give that, that. Give give me that. that. <laughs> it's almost my like actual like canon version of that scene like i've i've seen the shining so many times and that's the version that's that mostly in my brain because the simpsons but, version uh, of yep i remember <laughs> i remember the homer version of that scene more <laughs> all work and no play makes, makes homer, homer something, something something go crazy don't mind if i do that's <laughs> oh, so good um <laughs> No, but yeah, incredible performances all around. Uh, realized a, a thread I had like left uh, dangling with uh, so many tangents. Uh, similar to the episode in which we d- discussed Doctor Sleep, uh, it's impossible to discuss these titles without hundreds of tangents, I guess. Uh, I always think when you hear the stories about Kubrick and his directing style, I'm like, you're kind of a pretentious asshole. Like I, I, you know, I, I love many Kubrick films kind of a pretentious jerk not so are a lot of the people that i love yeah and so i'm always like that's not a directing style that i can endorse dude like i can't get behind that because again if you're like exhausting your actors and like stressing them out and being you know so fucking like needlessly obsessively controlling about like every like take that that's not a collaborative effort you're not like making a movie anymore you're you know making your uh, I, I don't know, college thesis project, whatever. Having said that, you can't argue with the results in this case because unfortunately every single performance <laughs> top to fucking bottom is a goddamn masterpiece. It's, it's exquisite. <laughs> it is so good. Camera angle from the lighting in every single room. God fucking damn it. If every every frame every single cell in this movie fucking perfect mother fuck the fact uh, that like lloyd the bartender feels you you use the metaphor uh or simile because i'm gonna use the word like uh feels like the front of an angler fish the little like light up lantern i don't know the word for it but the, the thing, thing that, that attracts you and looks like something else to make you bite and then yeah. not realize that you're so you're so in deeper than you realize yeah and the fact that like this is this is portrayed without like special effects or cg or like some kind of makeup or aesthetic that makes him look weird and creepy and off some way he's not like cg'd so that he's slightly translucent you're like he's a ghostly image he's not even really there he doesn't have any like 
wild idiosyncrasies where he like does something with his face that makes him look like he's a malfunctioning oh, he robot. Have a reflection. Yeah, no, it's literally just a fucking guy behind a bar, but somehow like every muscle in his face and every delivery of every line tells you like this is a skin suit created by something evil to do just enough to keep you there. Like this is this is an illusion that man is not real and like somehow he just portrays that by like giving you just enough humanity. This is a hotel's puppet to like... Yeah, like this is is the evil entity inside of the hotel manifesting itself to look human. And like, yeah, every every scene of Jack Torrance, every expression on his face, I feel like you can read so much into and project so much of like, you know, as I've clearly done, like project so much of my own, like here's what's scary to me about that because this micro expression feels like a dude like going on the defensive because he won't admit that he's at fault the way he licks his lips and like grinds his jaw when he's lying and like quickly darts his eyes around when somebody like brings something up that he doesn't want to talk about yeah and then like you can even like read on his face the moment where he's like i know how i'm gonna get out of this and be like well it's her fault it's danny's fault sincerely the moments in which he and his wife are just quiet in the room are some of the most terrifying because they're both like radiating history at each other. Like you can read everything about their dynamic and everything he's done to her and how she's responded by the way they carry their bodies and faces in a room. Yeah. And the, like straight up the, the moment, the moment when Wendy is talking to the doctor and is like, yeah, after Danny, you know, uh, had his accident and then has to explain my husband got drunk and dislocated his shoulder, but does it in this way of like, yeah, he had been drinking that night. He was like not in a great mood and Danny got on his nerves, but he went to pull him by the arm, you know, just something you've the done a you thousand do, like, at the playground. Yeah, the way you would anywhere and just used a little bit too much force and it totally unavoidable thing and thank god he's sober now and like you can and and even the the doctor her performance of quiet like fear and sadness of just like oh i can't help this person because she doesn't she has she might have not realized that she's so much she knows she's in danger yeah but she might not be willing to have that conversation right and also you know coming at it from a place of like i yeah just like i don't know if there's anything i can do for any of these people but it's also very clear what's happening (laughs) and yeah every every performance in this is fantastic even the way danny approaches just like knows how to be cautious and but still like a kid and wanting to play and even with his idiosyncrasies, the way Wendy still is just like, okay, Tony. And yeah, I love that Danny is somehow never like a creepy horror movie kid, despite no. being ostensibly like one of the original creepy horror movie kids, like after Damien. Yeah, going like, rad, rum, rad, rum, which, uh, side note, I used to do constantly as a kid, uh, <laughs> which my mom thought was very funny and other people did not. I feel like your mom thought it was so much more than funny. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> think about it as an adult now. If your kid that did that, wouldn't you also be like kind of proud? <laughs> yeah, I'd be pretty stoked. Like, there was pride there. I, I would imagine so. Um, but yeah, like even you know with the like imaginary friend, like you know Danny, Danny can't talk right now, Mrs. Torrance. Like somehow he's still like you're always rooting for him, and you're like this poor kid. Like 
you know, he's like possessed and he's got psychic powers. And his dad's trying to kill him. There's like so much. This kid is getting put through a fucking ringer. But I, I, you know, and obviously everyone's individual mileage may vary, but I'm always like rooting for Danny Torrance. And he's always just like a cute, like lovable kid who's in a real shitty circumstance. And it's never just like a creepy kid. You know, which it would have been so easy to get that out of him. But Well, I think it's because he just plays like a kid. Because when a creepy kid is creepy, it kind of feels... It feels like an Annabelle doll, where it's like, yeah, that doll looks scary. The original Chucky doll didn't, like, look scary. It was a doll. And yeah. uh, the kid in Poltergeist was so scary because she was a kid. And things right. are so much scarier when they uh, feel like something normal in your life can go wrong. Because when it's, like, over the top, when it's, like, you know, weird children's melody, it's, like, this kid's trying to scare me. No, it's true. Yeah. Like, it has to be a subversion of something that, like, feels safe. Exactly. That's what makes it scary. And the things that Danny does, like, the finger thing and the voice, is not a levitating kid. That could just be any kid, like, taking something a little bit too far. Yeah. It's just, like, the, the kind of, like feeling things out weird that like every kid is for some period of time that's just like i'm doing this voice for three days and you're like all right there's one day (laughs) where i told my parents that my name was guadalupe and i told everybody i was from london for like two weeks i uh yeah i did a lot of goofy stuff as a kid i was about to like volunteer one and then five popped into my head at once and i was like you know what nah (laughs) this is too much man i was too goddamn weird as a kid yeah, I was, good God, was I a real oddball. Um, one day I dressed up like my neighbor and said, I'm Emilio now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never admitted that out loud. <laughs> I've literally never said that to another human. I'm sorry, you talented Mr. Ripley him? <laughs> that got me (laughs) i feel like i i was uh a little uh you know self-conscious volunteering like yeah i used to just like try to be this like these different versions of myself (laughs) really one of the weirdest ones i thought of (laughs) like yeah one time i just dressed like the neighbor kid was like look at me i am amelia (laughs) yeah fuck I think because I pictured you like saying it to his parents, but with the voice of the like, I am the captain, <laughs> kind of like. I look mean, at pretty me. much. Look I, at me. Like, I am your him son. Up to walk to school. <laughs> his parents incredible. were there. Wow. Did it work? Were you Amelia? <laughs> Only to like three kids. Wait. I'm gonna ask you this on air, and you have to answer honestly. Is your real name Vanessa Guerrero? No, Amelia now. Did you steal uh, this identity? So, um, <laughs> is this like a madman thing? Is it like a Don Draper thing? No. Um. So, don't know why. I decided. Wait, uh, is that Don Draper's thing? Yeah, his name. I've is never actually, watched Mad Men. He's a he's like a Skinner type. Oh shit! He's an Armin Tanzarian. He's you, an Armin Tanzarian. You just spoiled Mad Men for me. Thanks. Now I'll never watch God it. God damn it, Elijah! Also, we should have put a spoiler tag on that because maybe other listeners. Uh, Mad Men has been out for as long as many I people's know, children. But are a alive. lot of people, I assume, are like, I don't know, man. It doesn't look super appealing to me. But like, do you want to hear why I dressed good, up like so the neighbor boy and tried it. to steal his identity or not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Amelia. Uh, I don't know. He was basically like my little brother's mailhouse. Because <laughs> um, he was just a kid that was just like soft and loved him, and then he'd beat him up all the time. Amelia's Aww. way cooler than he is now. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, he like wore a dumb jacket and glasses all the time. Uh, and I don't know why one day I just woke up and looked at my dad's jacket and saw a similar one and I poked the glass out of two of my mom's glasses that were similar and I slicked back my hair into a low bun. Um, and I was already like kind of like getting little boobs at this point. So I remember I like even like, like bandaged them down and I like walked up to his house and I was like, I'm Emilio now. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm Emilio now. Uh, did it for 24 hours. Before I remember being on the volleyball court and being like, I'm done with being Emilio. And I took off the jacket and the glasses. Uh, and then I went to go on the swing set with my friend. Wow. I, I'm i not convinced that, like, if you hadn't had a better time being Emilio, like, if you hadn't picked, like, a local mill house, but instead had picked, like, a very cool kid, I'm not convinced that you would have gone back. Like... I think that if you had been Emilio and Emilio like drove fast cars and like I don't know if I picked a Bart you're yeah saying. if you picked like a cool like Bart Simpson type character and you were just like I'm this person now and you're like oh shit this is pretty nice I'm not convinced you like would still have I think gone the problem is Vanessa. that I was the Bart oh you were already the Bart and then you were like wearing a Millhouse disguise for a little bit yeah, 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 yeah. I get you um, I think subconsciously I wanted to prove that I could be a better Emilio than he could wow uh, <laughs> that is that's like the cruelest thing we're I've cool ever now heard. I told you a darkness exists in everyone it exists in everyone we <laughs> we're like all... cool now we like see each other at the holidays and like he's a cool kid yeah. But there's a period of time uh, where you were sort of uh, a monster. A monster. Yeah. We've all been Jack Torrance. Every 12-year-old is a monster. Oh, absolutely. 12-year-olds are heartless. Um, that's that's just an easy... Uh, sorry, there's a cat trying to eat my microphone. Uh, that time it did derail me. <laughs> my professionalism, my thin veneer of professionalism has uh, shattered what thin veneer we just got sidetracked into the time i impersonated the neighbor boy yeah also i keep calling it professionalism as though we are doing this professionally <laughs> and not literally in our bed <laughs> i'm sad we're it's not, cool we're not professional podcasters you're emilio and it's cool um you know I who else say, is sad oh what's your segue the story of the terrence torrance family Terrence Incredible! Family. The story of the Torrance family is set. That was a phenomenal segue. Thank you for Thanks, keeping man. us on track. You are a professional podcaster. I think you've been paid for it. Probably you actually are a professional podcaster. I've been blogged about. That's great. Yeah, and a lady tried to give me a stupid ass fake lawsuit about it once, and, and then we find out we were that. one of like she tried to sue Edward James almost for <laughs> also being Latino and going to her college. <laughs> like, <laughs> and she was like, "I'm Edward James almost now." She, like, she dressed up like him and she was like, look at me, I'm Emilio. Yeah, uh, and like my network lawyer thought she was dumb as hell and called her and wasn't even like my lawyer. She just asked her lawyer four questions before she broke down and took everything back. That rules. Um, no, I, w- I was going to say, uh, I-, I realized uh, in talking about both of these, which uh, we we watched them both, uh, you know, back to back just before recording this and uh I, I feel like i've revealed this before uh but you know one of those uh behind the scenes uh things is uh i think scandalous and uh perhaps does not reflect well on us but i'm committed to uh full candor 
uh, we don't always watch them back to back in a straight double feature because of our scheduling and like sometimes, especially with like guest episodes and stuff. Uh, you know, we we don't always like have both picks lined up in advance. Sometimes we have well, to watch we have one to, to watch like, one to like figure it out. Exactly. Like you know, we don't always know immediately. It's like you know, sometimes it's a movie I haven't seen and I have to like find a kung fu movie that works with it. So sometimes we watch it, take a few days, think about the pairing. Sometimes we have them both, but like work just doesn't allow for us to like watch two movies back to back in the same night. Uh, today, thankfully, uh, we were able to do that. And uh, watching these two movies back to back, one, it's, you know, it's a great double feature for like some of the, the themes and things that we've covered, you know, someone who's just like, uh, you know, uh, drinking to a point that they are possessed and their body is, you know, over overcome by a sort of violent darkness. Uh, you know, the, the family dynamics, uh, the, the uh, just overall cinematic quality of both of them. Uh, but just the fact that like watching both of them feels like a warm hug and feels like, you know, just that you, you really are just watching two of the greatest of their respective genres, uh, that watching those two movies back to back, like genuinely like nourished my soul at, like in the, mo in the most, uh, you know, I guess like pretentious film nerd kind of way, but it like made me feel so goddamn good which I think is why I'm like, yeah, let's talk for three hours about these movies. Cause like honestly, same. It got me all buzzy. It got me excited. It was, it was in a week in which I've needed Masabal soup and yeah. hugs and bowls of warm rice and kimchi. This double feature was like what my fucking heart needed, man. Yeah. Just seeing two pieces of cinema. And I know pieces of cinema sounds pretentious as hell, but I don't care. It deserves it. Uh, put, together where you're just like i can't believe that was captured on camera i can't believe yeah. i get to live in a world in which this exists and it's real and it's magnificent yeah where like all of these moving parts and all of these people came together to capture this on film and i can i can access that whenever i want to is just one of the most magical things about being a person uh, and i realized that uh watching them back to back that both of these movies uh weirdly have like one specific memory attached to them uh that were like formative moments for me <laughs> and very specifically like made me realize that uh because i i don't know if everyone has this but the a, a point at which you realize like oh i care about movies in a way that like oh this might be like a part of my personality now or like i might like the, this is going to like influence my career decisions where it like, makes you realize why it's a little bit more personal yeah where you go from like yeah i mean like i watch a lot of movies i like a lot of movies to being like oh i'm like into i'm into film like i like i like talking with other people who are into film i like you know i'm gonna go work at a movie theater and just start talking about cinema. cinema cinema i'm gonna start a genre film podcast and move to la and try to write movies uh and you know given that that is uh the trajectory and arc of my life uh two really important formative moments uh legend of drunken master this was not the first time i had seen the film uh obviously would not be the last time i'd seen it for whatever reason whenever i think of the movie this is what i think of uh when i was 13 years old uh we were hanging out at uh, our friend uh michael's house uh michael uh was a cool dude whose uh father i think had like a very cool job and they had some money so like we all lived in apartments. Michael's family had like a house with a basement and we were hanging out in uh, his basement 
and he was like, oh, we should like throw on a movie, uh, you know, and like pointed to a selection of uh, VHS tapes. And, you know, uh, this was at the point uh, that DVD was very much like the thing, you know, by the time like I, you know, I was 13, 14 years old, like we did not watch movies on VHS anymore, but it was not far enough removed that it was like, like should have been novel because, you know, I was still like watching a bunch of movies on VHS, like, I, I don't know, when I was like seven, eight, whatever. Uh, but he, he picked out Legend of Drunken Master and I'm like, hell yeah, I love that movie. And he throws it on like a, you know, kind of shitty CRT TV because that was like, you know, previously the living room TV that is now in the basement. And I, as soon as it started and there's like the VHS scan lines and, you know, it like starts with the you know trailers of like you know now on video or like coming soon or whatever uh i was hit with this like wave of nostalgia at age 13 and i was like yo i miss watching movies like this like i know that's dumb but i i think that vhs is kind of cool like there's something about the way that it looks that just like reminds me of watching movies over and over when I was a kid and I only had like one or two movies because we you know we couldn't afford a lot we didn't have cable so it was like we'd have like a couple of movies on VHS that we got at a pawn shop or a thrift store and that that's what you have to watch so you just watch those obsessively and I was like yo this this is really cool and I know that DVDs like look better and have more like features and function but for some reason I like this it's <laughs> the organic nature of seeing boobies and then seeing scan lines and knowing it's because a bunch of people kept rewinding it at that moment too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that, that like kind of tactile, uh, I don't know. The, there's just like a uniqueness to it. And it's so, it has a, it has fingerprints all over it. Ooh, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. And it, yeah, there's just something like realizing in the moment that I'm like, I am too young for this to be nostalgic and that's stupid. And I think even like as a 13 year old being like, I think that I'm doing like a, an annoying, like, Oh, I like movies kind of thing. But like, no, I think that's also who, like who I am though. Uh, and then, uh, the shining, which, uh, I went to a screening of at the Stanley hotel during the short lived, uh, had a three year run Stanley film festival, which was a phenomenal film festival, thanks uh, largely to like the creative direction and programming of Landon Zakheim, who does, uh, he programs shorts for the Sundance Film Festival, and it has uh, since become the Overlook Film Festival, which is incredible. I encourage everyone to like, as soon as possible, if you can, uh, go to the Overlook Film Festival because it fucking rules. Uh, and in lieu of that, they've done a digital film festival partnered with a bunch of other ones called Nightstream. Uh, Nightstream rules. Nightstream also rules. Uh, so yeah, huge shout outs to all of that. All the love in the world to that. Uh, Stanley Film Festival was the first genre film festival that I ever attended. And it was before, because I would eventually like cover film festivals for Fangoria and just like spend a lot of my years, like or a lot of the year for a few years in a row, just traveling to film festivals, like all over the world, and, like meeting a ton of people and like, getting closer and closer to like, you know, this dream job of, you know, like living in LA writing stuff. Uh, and the first one I ever went to was the Stanley film festival. And it was literally just because I lived in Denver and I could drive to it. I was like, Oh shit, it's the hotel from the shining and they're doing horror movies there. That's so cool. I didn't even totally like understand what the structure of a film festival was, but, uh, went to that 
it blew my goddamn mind. I also uh, saw Macabre there for the first time. It was a midnight oh, movie. Wow. So it was my first exposure to uh, Timo, a uh, friend of the podcast who we love. And uh, yeah, that entire experience of like just watching horror movies for a week with a bunch of horror movie fans. And uh, there's a weird like casual nature to the festival because it's all at this one isolated mountain hotel where like the celebrity guests would also just be hanging out. And I remember just being like, yo, that's Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood's just hanging out over there. You know, living in Denver, you don't like casually see famous people. Uh, so it literally was like the moment that I was like, wait, no, I just want to do shit like this forever. And uh, yeah, I think these two movies are both directly associated with moments where I kind of realized like, I think I'm really into movies <laughs> in a way that's kind of dorky, Aww. but I'm, I'm gonna lean into it. Uh and I still feel that watching this double feature. It's a cup of soup. It's a cup of soup, baby. Uh, so what are we putting that on that marquee? Cup of soup. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then I just put down the microphone and walk away. Uh, I, I feel like you had a name for this, didn't you? I thought you, you had something picked out. My pitch was going to be the Simpsons quote, uh, which we've referenced quite a bit in this episode. Uh, or the Simpsons we referenced, but uh, the quote... Uh, alcohol the cause of uh and solution to all of life's problems um i like that better than mine which is a boot and rally oh that's right oh i think we we said boot and rally and then i was uh, we were trying to find maybe like a horror or martial arts pun on boot and rally um and i and i didn't get there uh bring your own oh actually luke lloyd Luke Lloyd, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, at Lowbrow on Twitter, uh, writer of many wildly successful viral tweets, uh, very, very great t- Twitter feed that you should all follow, um, because Luke is hilarious. He tweeted uh, shortly before this recording uh, that it was the critically acclaimed Drunks double feature, which uh, he had capitalized it, and I immediately... Uh, couldn't help noticing that the acronym of criti- critically acclaimed drunks would be CAD, which uh, is a word that, uh, hold on, I, I'm going to pull up the dictionary definition for CAD right now because I think it's funny and applies. Hold on, hold on, hold on. A man who acts with deliberate disregard for another's feelings or rights, a selfish CAD. Had to had to define that because uh, it's not in the most popu- popularly used word. It's not always in the common vernacular. Because we're not a cartoon lady being tied to train tracks by a wolf. <laughs> but critically acclaimed drunks. Oh, you cad. Cads and cads. Because it's critically acclaimed drunks. And also men who act with deliberate disregard for others' feelings or rights. A selfish so, cad. Do you want to do critically acclaimed drunks? We can we can do other ones because we're not a lady being tied to cartoon train Let's tracks. Let's do critically acclaimed drunks. Yes. <laughs> and then for the snack pick, <laughs> I'm going with drunken noodles. Oh fuck yeah, pack your mouth. Yeah. Love drunken noodles. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, I don't think drinking booze while watching either of these will feel good at certain points. No. Uh, at some point, it might just uh, might just taste like sadness. Yeah. Um, because there's certain movies where drinking is just like. Hell yeah. Um, like uh, Shaun, Shaun of the Dead, where you're just like, fucking, this is great. Um, 
neither of these movies I think that would feel good. And it's, it's in the way that like chocolate cake feels bad during Matilda. Uh, good call. <laughs> so drunken noodles, because it's in the name. Yeah, they don't actually contain any alcohol. They That's sober you up if you're drunk. Yeah, it's for drinking when it's two a.m. and you're stumbling home drunk, and you're like, uh, my family's gonna yell at me like a real Jack Torrance type. Like so, you yep. order a really spicy dish because it kind of snaps you back to it, and you're like, oh fuck, and like greasy noodles soak up that liquor and the spice to sober you up. That's with a side. Of fries and ketchup. Oh, that's Danny Torrance's favorite meal, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh, Which also cute. is great when you're drunk. That's true. Drunken noodles and a side of fries and ketchup. Yeah. Feels very much like something that I like may have had while drunk where I'm just like pointing We might have actually things. done that in our house. That's entirely possible. We might have had that combination. Nice. Because I, like I can it. make both those things. Yeah, yeah. Not ketchup. Yeah, I mean, I mean ketchup you could sucks. make it. You could make ketchup, but like, why would you? Uh... I'm not a big ketchup fan. I tried making mayonnaise the other day and it was a real bad, real bad, bad time. I'm sorry. You'll get better. Anyways, uh, this show isn't about mayonnaise. It's about the amazing movies that we just covered. Uh, And uh, Elijah, whose turn is it to pick next? Mine? Yeah, I picked Drunken Master. What's your next pick? Uh, That one that I'm going with, uh, Pin a Plastic Nightmare. Oh, Pin, A Plastic Nightmare. That's right. Also, I don't know if we've pointed it out yet, but I think we have done this enough times that it is an unintentional running joke. The number of times one of us has confidently declared, my pick for next week is going to be blank. And then something happens because it then, always does. And it's like we either forgot that next week is actually a guest episode or we like mixed up whose turn it was to pick or the movie wasn't actually available streaming. I know I've done that many times with like City of Violence or Fist of Legend when those were not streaming. Uh, I know things we've promised but like did not actually do yet. Fist of Legend, Malignant, Pin. I know there's more, but... I, I really love this bit where we declare a movie and then well, never, I don't mean to make it a bit, up. but it's Pin. We're watching Pin. It's on we'll YouTube. See and about you that. Can stop it. Uh, um, I highly recommend watching it beforehand because if some of you haven't seen it, it's absolutely bonkers. Hell yeah. I'm stoked. Uh, Vanessa, where can the people find you? You can find me on uh, Twitter under N-E-S-S Guerrero. Um, also, my uh, job, the network I've been working at for most of this year, we are finally launching November 16th, and I'm producing a bunch of shows over there, and I'm now a f- like officially, because I've been working both shows forever, only producer to do that because I'm like Lindsey Buckingham in Fleetwood Mac. You'd need two guitarists to replace me. Uh, yeah. But as as of right now, I am officially uh, on Attack of the Show and producing a few other uh, elements there as well. Um, but Attack of the Show, hosted by uh, Kevin Pereira? Famous, yeah. famous TV host Kevin Pereira? Yeah. On the G4 network? Uh, once hosted Sasuke. Um, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, we're launching November 16th, so that's real exciting, and that's what's been taking up a lot of my time. You can also find me on Beyond the Monsters on Shudder. I'm currently on the Candyman and uh, Michael Myers episodes, but I'm likely also going to be on the Chucky Hellraiser and Jason ones as well. Uh, I had an absolute blast, and everyone on, in, on there is so fantastic. Um, and I think that's it for now. Nice. And then you can find the podcast under Kick Screen Pod on all forms of social media. Where can the people find you, Elijah? They can't.
or they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. That's it. <laughs> um, and as always, we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Here's Johnny. Oh, we